I think we have the resources for it. Do we have crappy politicians? Yes. Do we have systems, existing systems that don't make this work? Yes. Um, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking and dreaming of a tomorrow. And if today's today will get by, but I want a better tomorrow. That's the dream that every immigrant parent has for their kids. That's the part of the dream that I want to keep going. You're really at this point where you want to transition out of out of the path that was put in front of you. And you really want to say, hey, I think there's more than that. Beyond that, you have no idea what you're doing. That's fine. That's what I'm here for to you know, work with you, do the handholding, um, to reinsuring that, hey, there, you know, this will work out. to the billions around the world on YouTube in 4K and audio streaming services like Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like this content, please subscribe, like, comment, and share. And now onto the podcast. Where are you getting this coffee? There's this great Vietnamese <laughs> coffee shop that's almost all Vietnamese people with a bouncer at the door <laughs> and a lot of smoking and gambling inside and girls. No, <laughs> yes, maybe, but I go for the coffee. <laughs> you know what i'll agree with you surprisingly it's actually really good coffee <laughs> definitely from experience <laughs> it's the kind of place that has the uh, b from the health department <laughs> that's how you know the coffee's good <laughs> have you always been uh, down in orange county or did you move there for a reason or um let's i've been here like five years now uh, yeah. originally moved here for so i moved to la um down in torrance for mm. uh Break up. Oh, <laughs> and, sorry uh, to hear that. <laughs> and uh, so I was just like, I need to get away from my breakup in New Jersey. So I picked it geographically as far as fucking way I could. Oh, okay. So landed feel, in L. So looking, in LA. but looking back, do you feel like that was a good move? Like, did that work out well, or do you feel like you should have done something different? Because that seems extreme to move because of a breakup, right? Yeah, I mean. Is it my best decision? <laughs> no, right? But like I, I got the luxury of hindsight and yeah, um, definitely just, you know, the feeling of I'll make it work, right? And that's something yeah. I try to empower, um, at least with my clients, myself, my community is like, hey, dude, like shit happens. Yeah. Um, let's, you know, we can feel shitty about it, but um let's let's remember to be like you're empowered and you can change your direction mm. at any time i can tell you this when i was 20 or 21 mm -hmm. there was a gal that i would have moved to alabama for and <laughs> yeah like i'm so lucky and oh man we're just talking about alabama today wait so finish that story then i'm gonna ask well, no, well she was in college there it wasn't like she was an alabaman but mm -hmm. uh at any rate i was so you know like a young guy head over heels that I was like, well, what am I here for? Like, I'd rather be there kind of thing. I, you know, with nothing keeping me here. But lucky for me, she did not like me as much. So <laughs> looking back, like, I foresee that probably would, you know, looking back, that probably would have been a train wreck in many ways. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that would have gone well in the big picture or the long run, um, you know, with the perspective of, of time, looking back. Well, yeah, 
I was just about that age, you know, my that breakup I moved yeah. away from like I was 22, right? Yeah. And I was like, mm, yeah, this is gonna girl that I'm gonna marry, <laughs> my parents proud because for once she's actually Chinese and she's got a uh, she's checking she, all the boxes. She's checking all the boxes, getting a PhD, um, <laughs> knows all that. And then it's like you you get lost in it, right? Yeah. And, and what we're not teaching is, you know, young people, especially young men, you yeah. know, with all the Asian, like you need to get married and have two and a half kids ASAP. It's like, mm. bro, that your rest of your life is a long ass time. Yeah. To to just like not think it through. Yeah. But I think our, our emotions are stronger at that age. Right. And oh, yeah. And, and every experience is the first time. So everything seems important. Everything seems like this is world changing, mm-hmm. you know, because you're going through it for the first time each time mm-hmm. that you do something new. So, yeah. And, and yeah. what it's not tempered against is like elders who are like, hey, like pump the brakes a little. And I'm not like running, raining on your parade pump your brakes, but it's like, mm. hey, like, you know, there, this is a holistic thing. This is not a, you know, you went to, the store and you picked up a girl and like next to your cereal this is like yeah. no this is picking your um you know your romantic partner is probably one of the biggest decisions you'll make in your life wait wait dude i'm very careful about my cereal picking too though you know you don't want too much sugar in your diet oh, oh yeah i'm real i'm real i'm allergic to nuts so half of them are out the door right same thing with crazy women <laughs> different kind of nuts so, uh... <laughs> that's good one <laughs> So my Alabama story thing is, uh, I have a, I have a friend that just messaged out of the blue. We haven't talked in almost, I think 10 years, but, uh, he says he's out in Alabama or I assume his Facebook profile says that. And then he yeah. said, Hey, is your wife looking for a job? Um, cause my wife's a uh, Vietnamese or she just came from, I just got the visa stuff, the green card and everything. She's just been in America about two years now. Wow. So then, um, um, thank you. And then, um, then he said, Hey, I need a manicurist. Um, and they make around I think he said four to five K a month, a thousand dollars. And then I was like, then I started thinking Alabama, like yeah. my, I mean, my. That's like over, six or seven K in adjusted dollars. Yeah. 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 But then my, <laughs> my overly cautious self was like, man, I don't know what it's like in the South nowadays. I, I think racism mm-hmm. has gone down a lot, but then I'm dealing with a wife that doesn't know full, that doesn't know English uh, fluently. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Things could go good. I mean, I don't know what I don't know the uh, statistics on where how mm-hmm. much racism truly is, there is out there. Mm-hmm. I've only hmm. I've only driven by once, so it doesn't even count. I literally just was going driving from Florida to Texas at one point, mm-hmm. and I during that drive it looked it was like the like there was nothing out there. <laughs> like, yeah, man, if you get in some trouble out there, like I hope I don't run into any rednecks or hillbillies. Well, yeah, so you don't want. Uh... I mean, it would be extreme to have something violent happen, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know what the stats nowadays. I can't imagine it's a whole lot, or else people wouldn't go there. Yeah. But then, yeah. then we go into the no. But would I put up with some nonviolent racism for good money? <laughs> That's kind of, or it's more the chance. Would I, would I have, would I put up with the smaller, higher, or a smaller, higher chance of racism for mm-hmm. her to have some? A, no, so you got to look at it the right way. This is your chance to have your wife working and bring home the bacon, and you could be the houseman. man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I don't know. I don't know if I want to go to Alabama that bad. <laughs> this I job was remote, right? Not can, so much. Uh, 
Yeah. I, I would recommend Georgia. I would actually. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wait, what do you what do you recommend about Georgia over Alabama? Because it's both uh, has both Waffle House territory, right? Yep, the Waffle House territory. Um, established Vietnamese community. If you know Asian, it's not like super massive like we have here in California, but like it exists. Mm. And I I did my university in uh, Georgia Tech in Atlanta, so you know that whole area I'm pretty familiar with. Atlanta. And what, Mm-hmm. Would, would would be mainly uh, big city living that that you would suggest like once you get out to the countryside does it does the ratio of white to color white to colored people change dramatically yeah ab- absolutely <laughs> but you know you look at the stats like Asians are like what six percent of America yeah yeah uh-huh. correct right and so if you're looking at where I'm at where you guys are at right it's highly skewed yeah I excuse that. Um, you know, if you're in the sticks, yeah, you're going to have that massive culture shock, which I did moving from the Jersey. Um, but I largely believe that everyone's same business. We just want to have fun, find love, have good times and all that good stuff. I think you need to look I, at the statistics for how many people disappear in the swamp. <laughs> how, how the- I was trying to tell, I was trying to translate to Newm like that type of thing. I don't know how to explain to her because America has a history of, or every country has a, has a history of racism because any, we're so tribal in human nature, but mm-hmm. yeah, for us being Asian in America, I was like, I, I don't know how to explain to her my view of my, my odd fear of rednecks and hillbillies. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're usually very polite. Yeah, Southern hospitality or hu- Southern dis- discomfort depends on how, <laughs> what you want to call the. <laughs> yeah. Southern hospitality is real. Like, yeah, like strangely real. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. No, I've I met some people that were raised in the South that like came to California or Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. I've worked with them and they're fantastically amazing people. Yeah, mm-hmm. really amazing people. But no, then but I'm, th- I'm with you, though. What you're saying is I don't know the current reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I have all these stereotypes. I have the yeah. past and history and, and you know, uh, skewed entertainment and reports. But I don't know what the reality is in the South. Yeah, yeah. Huh, that's interesting. All right, we could pro- we we should probably get started. I'm gonna throw in a couple things. So within five minutes for MNI and if Joe, well, Joe hasn't. Joe. Was it? Did we not start? Uh, no, we haven't. <laughs> no. So actually, no. That's actually this is gold. No, this actually this is one thing I'm about to bring up um, uh, that related to this. So within five minutes, we got to. We're gonna probably butt in if you're talking, and we're just gonna do the YouTube uh, audience. Please hit the sub- sub- subscribe button. But on top of that, the recent analytics, um, uh, Vig Vig uh, Doctor Man. Okay. That Ma- video, money. huh? Money. Oh, it's money. Oh shit! I've been saying man. Um, Big man works. That video <laughs> we got flagged on the advertising, and it said that we're election advertising. There's two sentences out of three hours. Mm. Two sentences. Uh, uh, he he was. <laughs> you, we were talking about testo- testo- testosterone. Uh, re- uh, what's it called? Testosterone replacement. Replacement uh, therapy. Sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then. At one point, you joked. You're joking, and you said, "Oh, there's a there's a there's a billboard that says uh, testosterone therapy works." And yeah. then he says, "Oh yeah, there's also billboards that says Trump is great." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Either that, either that got flagged. Literally, just those. Yeah. Or there's a part where we're talking about uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency where hmm. he says, "Hey, weren't you wearing an Andrew Yang shirt earlier?" And then I was like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, go Andrew Yang, go." Hmm. So there's only two references to anything political in that podcast over three hours. Yeah. And we got flagged for average. We can't, 
I can't get paid. That, that disallows advertising. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay. So anyway, so this political thing that or the racist thing that we just talked about, mm-hmm. um, I still, I still, I really like these conversations. So I'm gonna probably keep it in. But unfortunately, that means the. Or can I, you do that conversation as a separate clip? Oh, that's yeah. kind of a good idea. Does that makes sense. Okay. Get demonetized on those five minutes. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, maybe I'll have to figure out. Yeah. It's just more work. To, well, sorry, Howard, you're too you're too dangerous right out the, <laughs> right out the gate here. Oh man, dude, we're we're only scratching the surface. We're, we're dancing on landmines already. It's it's crazy that probably like 30 percent, twenty to thirty percent of the videos are getting uh, disapproved because of some. Because you other, like talking about that shit. They say sensitive events is the other big one that we go through, and I'm like, what? We had an ex cop talk about his profession. Like, I know I, yeah. But the other Wikipedia. How the guy that was about free information? How, how why does he get flagged for sensitive events? That's so retarded. Well, because it's not a person. Sorry, looking. I, shouldn't, I shouldn't say. Oh, oh you're going to get flagged. Uh, there we go. <laughs> oh, <he's laughs> flag Actually, I should flag myself on that you one. Should pull that out. Yeah. <laughs> I need to stop saying that. Uh, no, but I mean, so we're mentioning things that there's not a human watching it. It's an algorithm. Yeah. Any keywords, yeah, basically, yeah. right? Yeah. I would imagine it's just purely like keyword. I'm gonna probably start um, appealing those, but I have a feeling what it's it's gonna. It goes from a bot, then it goes to a person who the person has no, there's no, he doesn't, the person doesn't lose anything if they, they accept my, if they agree with me. That YouTube right. employee, if they just accept the bot thing, then they're, they're they don't lose anything. So it's, yeah, it's there's, there's, there's no punishment for over restricting yeah, yeah. and no reward for, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I hear other YouTube channels are running into a lot of these problems where they, they mm. appeal and it doesn't work. Um, well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. But okay, so we got to remember five minutes in, within five minutes, do the uh, subscribe talk. Uh, say there's a subscribe thing. Um, there's one other thing. What was it? Um, no, I think okay. Those are the two things: subscribe and uh, and the sensitive event, sensitive top, sensitive events or whatever. Okay, don't say the T word. Eh, no, I, I think we'll figure out something eventually. Um, and then, all right, um, should, wait one moment, I'm gonna, okay, so let's get started. So Howard, thank you for joining us. So you have a chemical engineering degree, and if I got that correct, and go ahead and give us a quick bio of yourself. Um, so yeah, I got a uh, chemical engineering degree from Georgia Tech um, back in my <coughs> younger days, and then I proceeded to do nothing with it. Um, by going, damn it! I want to ask you a bunch of rocket fuel questions. I can't answer that, but okay. separate topic, right. <laughs> for separate reason. But uh, yeah, I, I graduated in 2011, which, if you guys remember, was a shit time to get a job. Yeah, stuff times. Yep. And so I actually went into. I worked for my dad twice. On the, on the front. <laughs> we're, we're trying not to swear on the uh, first ten minutes, but we've already <laughs> failed twice. <laughs> I was told by recording that swearing is great. <laughs> yeah, swearing good. Uh, we don't. Yeah, no, you're good. Oh, oh, oh the recording. Um, it's your the obscene stories are great and the cussing is okay, but we personally we try to refrain for the first ten minutes only. It's it's for an aver- uh, the advertising thing with YouTube. Got you. <laughs> yeah, let's cut. We'll cut that. Right. No, no, it doesn't. No, seriously, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I bleep it out for the first ten minutes. It's all good. Okay, to save you some good. editing work. Uh, yeah, no, but I mean, I'll, I'll probably even keep it in and bleep it so that people. I think it's. In, I think as I'm going down this rabbit hole of YouTube thing, it's really interesting to see how how 
YouTube's advertising is restricting certain topics and certain words. I think mm. freedom of, of speech is mm-hmm. not so free on YouTube. But not, not that it's terribly bad. It's just interesting uh, mm-hmm. to see what can get... I, won't, I don't want to say blocked, but they, they still allow it. They just make it really tough for people to find it. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So you finished uh, Georgia Tech chemical engineering degree 2011, and you... You would have become a chemical engineer if there were good jobs out there, or you weren't really. Well, so, so the nuance there was um, at the time, you know, that ex girlfriend we were talking about, um, <laughs> she was she was studying up in Massachusetts, and I wanted to be near her. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Follow your ding dong. Um, so I ended up working for dad <laughs> for a little bit because I could move back home in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, and when that all fell apart and whatnot, I said, okay, I'm gonna just kind of YOLO it. Right. And so I moved out to um, for a job um, in sales engineering and they put me in Chicago, outside Chicago for a little bit, put me up in NorCal a little bit by Dublin Pleasanton and then finally oh, down man, here in nice LA. Area. Okay. Wait. So you went to New Jersey to be close to Boston? Uh, yep. Okay. Is there a train that goes over or what's the. Uh... I just drove it. It's like a three hour drive. Oh, yeah. When you're, when you're 20, that seems like a. Not a big deal. <laughs> I'm 45, so the idea of like driving three hours for somebody you love is is an alien idea. Like, <laughs> I mean, what's the drive Vegas to uh, California? We got a bunch of relatives and about five yeah, hours. Yeah. Oh well, uh, three and a half to certain parts of Orange County. Yeah, I can but, do. Yeah, you just do it late at night. You know, driving a little faster than 65, and you'll make it. You'd, you'd have to be really hot to get me down to the state line from here. <laughs> Which is what, about 35 minutes? <laughs> about an hour? About an hour. Isn't the state line an hour? I don't know. <laughs> Depends on how fast you're going, I guess. Or are you thinking Pahrump? <laughs> Pahrump, you get some love out there. They're, they're obviously not hot enough because I haven't been going in the, in the 12 years in Vegas. I've never run to Pahrump, even for fireworks. Most people go out there for because yeah, it, it's yeah. a different county, so you get uh, stronger fireworks out there. But yeah. Okay, so, right. so after the chemical engineering degree, then uh, actually you could even start from uh, current and then go backwards if you want to. So what are you doing currently? Uh, current, <clears throat> currently I own my own business, Thriving Turtle. Thriving um, Turtle? Coaching. Yeah. Um, it's for... Um, Emotional intelligence, building that up in our Asian American community. Um, it's a topic that I think is just not visited. And it's so important for just happiness, for satisfaction, for just kind of everything you do in life. Dude, emotional intelligence in the Asian American context sounds like disappointing your parents. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Okay. Absolutely. So we got the math straight on that one. <laughs> and. And, and that's actually a huge topic of mine is actually like uh, teaching, teaching parents or like if you're about to have kids, you want to plan to have kids. Like, yeah, we learn a lot about like how we don't want to parent from our experiences from, you know, looking up. Yeah. But that doesn't fill the gap of what do you want to do, nor are you, you know, you do have to practice run of that. Right. Yeah. And so, so your natural, um, you know, default is just whatever worked for me. I didn't die. I came out. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, and we call that generational trauma. <laughs> mm. Well, so are we, what's the goal here is to make happier people. Um, the goal is to really empower people to one is, you know, be happier, 
Um, but to have a sense of individuality um, in America while still balancing your, you know, Asian heritage and culture, I think it can exist simultaneously. Um, I, I personally have my own identity crisis. Like I'm not Asian enough for the fob Asians. I'm not white enough mm. for the Caucasians. Right. So where do I fall in? And yeah. the, the reality is you, I had to carve out my own Asian American identity. Um, and nobody taught me that I was for the longest time. I was under the impression, like I had to fit into the established, um, groups. Mm. Yeah. I'm not, not Asian. And that's half Vietnamese. <laughs> he doesn't, he may not look like it. Yeah. So what, uh, for thriving turtle, what are some of the, uh, key customers or perfect customers that come, uh, that would fit what you're, you're mm -hmm. looking for? Um, my perfect customer is right around 20, 30, forties, um, older, if, you know, if you're older, you know, you want, that's where we're starting. That's cool. Um, you're living in an Asian Western background. So I've had clients in Canada, Australia, um, you know, same topics, slightly different accents sort of thing. Mm. Um, and <clears throat> typically, <clears throat> typically, but not limited to like a STEM background. Um, and I say that because that's the one I'm most familiar with. I, mm. that chemical engineering degree is popping in and making it, <laughs> you know, making its value. And, and you're really at this point where you want to transition out of, out of the path that was put in front of you. And you really want to say, Hey, I think there's more than that. Beyond that, you have no idea what you're doing. That's fine. That's what I'm here for to, you know, work with you due to handholding, um, to reinsuring that, Hey, there, you know, this will work out. I know so because I did the hard work and I've, I feel better than I've ever had. I feel less stressed, happier, looking forward to just, you know, like waking up. And you, you look know, like a million bucks. Thanks. <laughs> you look like a happy son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, I said it. Yeah. <laughs> you look like 10 minutes yet. <laughs> oh, we, and yeah. also uh, YouTube, remember to click the subscribe button. We need your help. <laughs> and also check out our Patreon. I know you're watching. I see the numbers. I see a lot of views on the videos, but uh, not too many people are clicking like or subscribe. I see. Help us. Yeah. Some, some obscene, num obscene number, like 600 views, 500 hours out of the 600 views. So that's 40 minutes on average per person. Oh. So click if, subscribe. If you've enjoyed at least 30 minutes of this, <laughs> please just subscribe for us. Yeah. It'll, <laughs> it'll help us keep doing what we're doing. And then you get to find out how Lim and how we turn out. A couple couple future. years from now, yeah. <laughs> if, <laughs> this, if this is going well, or we crash or burn, <laughs> whether they become like uh, super anti Asian, <laughs> misfit, uh, maladjusted, or, angry, or I become crypto rich and then I turn into a weird person that wears a hat all the time, even indoors with glasses. Oh, who are we talking <laughs> about? Uh, I see a lot of rich people where they they go towards hats and uh, and scarves. I don't know what interesting. It is. Yeah, hats indoors. Huh. Anyways, that, it's more the like centric rich people, but all right, back to thriving turtle. Yeah. <laughs> so thriving turtle, um, is there a common is there a common theme that you see? So is it is it literally just Asians in their twenties, thirties, and forties? They come to you and say, "Hey, I, I'm I'm having an issue finding the perfect job or staying in a job, or I don't feel successful where I'm at." Or what's the common issues? So so what happens usually? It's usually one or two topics um, that are like key, like you know dumpster firing right now. 
um, mm-hmm. often relationships or career, because these are two big things. Oh. Um, and there are very few outlets um, to talk about these topics in depth and feel safe and secure. You know, I would just ask you guys, like, how was the last time you talked with your parents about your sex life, right? That's a hard never for 99%, right? Yeah, I would feel like I was bragging. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And yet, you know, this is a huge topic, sexual identity, sexual health, um, consent, boundaries, um, all roll into that. What if your parents are always pressuring you to make grandchildren? Does that count? Yeah. Do, and they're like, do you, do you know how this works, right? First off, you need to have a girlfriend. <laughs> and then you, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, it was, it was literally the, hey, your university, you know, don't get girls pregnant the day after. If you get her pregnant, you know, it's, we'll make do with it sort of thing. And I was mm. like, that is not healthy at all. Did, did your parents ever uh, give you any pressure to stay within your heritage? Because I know that happens for a lot of mm-hmm. uh, Asian Americans, is that you have this pressure to marry into your own culture so, from the so, parents, right? So not specifically my parents, but in my extended family, they were like, um, some would be like, hey, yeah, don't date Koreans. If you kind of remember the Korean War, it wasn't that great. And some would be like, <laughs> hey, don't date Japanese. You remember World War II? wasn't that great time, yeah. um, right? And and I grew up in New Jersey with all of these groups. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. I'm awkward nerd. And I think you're cute. That's, that's yeah. And none of us were in that war. So uh, yeah. we kind of don't hate each other. Right. And so there's, again, you know, those generational passed on of like, yeah, like I understand the suffering and struggles of the generations before. Um, but why should I color my decisions? Yeah. We're in a whole new world now where BTS is hot shit. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll add my story and then I'm also flag it. I'll flag it because I don't know if I want to. I don't. I don't know if I want this online, but we'll see. You don't. Um, want, you don't want to date Koreans either. No, I love Koreans. <laughs> it's actually it was, so. My mom, um, when I was dating a Filipino back in high school, um, she got upset one day. It was um, kind of yelling at me. I'm like, "Mom's, what's what's all this host- hostility?" And then um, she said, "Well." just be careful who you date and all this stuff. And you know, that Filipino girl, you can't trust her or you should be careful. I'm like, Whoa, Whoa, why mm-hmm. are you saying that? And then I, I said, well, what if I dated a white girl? And then she's like, Oh, they don't know how to treat you. They don't know how to treat men. Like, okay. What about a Mexican girl? And then she's like, well, they're, they're cheap. They're not going to treat their men very good. So it, it ended up being, I like how oh, she had these uh, good, good reasons for each uh, ethnicity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so either, I at the time I was like either you hate all races or you're alluding to you want me to date Vietnamese. At mm-hmm. that time I wasn't thinking fast enough. I I, I kind of wish I would have had her answer on the Vietnamese just to see if she wanted mm-hmm. me to date inside the culture. <laughs> just, there weren't any Vietnamese girls around for you to. Oh yeah, where we lived. Yeah, I lived in a, like an all white neighborhood, so it would have been. Actually, there was two 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 Vietnamese girls at that high school actually out of uh, two thousand five hundred. Dang, um, something like that. So. Uh, yeah, I was one of the five Asian people, one of the six Asian people. Mm. But so anyways, back to, back to the, I, I forget why you asked that question to Howard, if there's the Asian. Well, no, I'm curious what your story ended up with. Is it just your mom didn't want you to date? What do you think your mom actually wanted? It was either, either I, I either conclude, I thought she either wanted me to date, uh, 
Vietnamese or she just had she just didn't want me to date because as a mom she's afraid of me getting someone pregnant and mm-hmm. the yeah. troubles of dealing with a girl and, and having mm-hmm. a son dating a girl so yeah so she just wanted to yell at me just to oh. make me scared. so it wasn't a real rational not yeah. that i not i don't think so yeah and, and that's actually a great illustration of like how much in asian american culture is a fear-based relationship right don't do this or your parents going to flip out on you or you're going to dishonor your ancestors or something yeah. like that. And it's not like a caring or love-based relationship of like, Hey, like son, I love you. Therefore, like, let me teach you why, you know, you shouldn't go around getting girls pregnant for your sake. You know, I, was- should, I should just add, so before I make my mom sound bad, if I do keep this clip in, uh, my mom dated, uh, I guess it wasn't mostly white guys, but I mean, I don't view her to be racist. So mm-hmm. I think that story was just an illustration of the complications mm-hmm. of being a parent and dealing with your child. Um, and then also I, the one thing I will add that that causes, I, I, I don't, I don't know if I want to say racism, but a, a cautionary take on life when you're, you're brought from a war torn Vietnam, you come to America and you get help from, potentially a lot of white people through the military and whatnot, but then it causes, there are things that, that you live through where you see potential racism at you, but you also see people helping you. So it's a confusing thing for mm-hmm. Asians. So that that's just something I, I do not think she's racist. I think I want to say that she was raised in very difficult times for, for her to make some very difficult decisions. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that is a weird thing. If you grow up, in Vietnam, everybody's Vietnamese, right? Yeah. And then a war happens, and then you escape to a place where you are now some minority, and everybody around you is different. So mm-hmm. that's got to be a difficult thing to handle as a parent. Mm-hmm. And then how how do you how do you clear your own head before you even start to teach your children? Yeah, exactly. In fact, the answer is a lot of them don't get the opportunity. They're too yep, busy yeah. trying to survive. Yep. You know, I I think about like the diaspora around the world and all these like major conflicts, yeah. um, whether it be like a world war or Korean war or like British people in India leaving in like the late fifties. Mm. Um, Vietnam is obvious. Southeast Asia is still a little conflicty. Right. And there's just all this diaspora and there's so much of like, we need to do stuff to not die. Mm-hmm. And I think of like Vietnamese diaspora and like Minnesota. I'm like, things were so bad that they picked a snowbound place and they're mm-hmm. like tropical people. And that was an improvement, right? Yeah. Um, there's, so there's, there's 8,000 no, uh, Vietnamese people in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, like, <laughs> like of all places, right? <laughs> yes. Th- thank you, Catholic Charities, for, <laughs> for, for saving 8,000 Vietnamese people. <laughs> right. So so I'm I'm part of advocating of like, we have the opportunity, um, this generation to transition from a survive mindset to a thriving mindset, whichever side there ah. is, right? Um, where we're, you know, for, for our parents, let's say, you know, for our parents' generation, like screwing up meant you died or like things sucked humongous ass. Mm. Um, and they teach us those lessons. But for me, it's like, oh, you know, if my business tanks, I'll get a job. Mm-hmm. It'll, I'll be unhappy, but it's nowhere nearly the, you know, the scope of penalty of failure. And that took me years to unlearn because I would be so anxious to make decisions because it's like, is it the right decision or am I going to like screw up my life? 
reality, that wasn't an issue at all. Yeah. How did, uh, how did you get started with Thriving Turtle? So what was the kind of the uh, buildup before that? What career were you doing and then what made you start Thriving Turtle? Um, my, my career, I, so I mentioned that um, sales engineering, I discovered that um, it's learning sales is a great skill set. Um, I'm an introvert. I hate talking to people. Uh-huh. So <laughs> that didn't work out. Uh, I moved into aerospace defense because um, I was unemployed and being paid beats not having money. Yeah, right? job good. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I moved, I gradually moved into IT, software analyst, and those type of positions. And um, my previous job before this business was working remotely as a PLM, which is product lifecycle management architect um, analyst. And my, the, you know, my transition was really during COVID. I had, like many of us, uh, way too much time to think, way too few things to do. And I realized, man, I'm not happy, right? I was okay. You weren't yeah. happy as a product lifecycle management analyst associate? Uh, no, man. Okay. What is, what is that actually doing? What, what does that mean to somebody outside of the corporate so, you know, when you build a product from, it's a drawing on a picture to like, this is made in a factory in Vietnam, China, whatever, yeah. um, there's a whole development process. Um, instead of throwing it in Excel and praying to Excel gods, you know, you organize it in a meaningful way so that um, data can go in and go out more seamlessly than just look in a folder and I hope that I'm in the right folder. Okay. Was it, were you dealing more with um, hard, uh, an actual physical product or software products? Um, so I did that in aerospace. So it was planes and stuff. Oh, okay. Um, I did my next position. It was consumer electronics. Um, and my, my last one was furniture. Right. Mm. So going from start to finish is like, there's a lot of steps. There's a lot of revision. There's a lot of quality inspections. That's marketing materials. That's all got to come together or it's product go on the shelf. Is it more exciting working on warplanes than couches or is the job such that it's the same thing regardless of the product? Honestly, like the cool, the coolest thing I actually <laughs> got to see was, um, you know, the James Webb space telescope. Ooh. What? Lim loves the James Webb actually, space telescope. Yeah. I was going to tell you about the analytics on our YouTube stuff. Uh, uh, James, uh, James Webb telescope is uh, trending. So I was mm-hmm. thinking we should try to find uh, that. That was my post on Facebook looking for, I don't know if you saw James Webb telescope, uh, somebody that's worked on it. Yeah. Even a contractor or something. I would like to interview somebody. Wait, are you saying you worked on the James Webb space telescope? I you? did not work directly. I stood, watched other dudes work on it. Um, <laughs> you saw I, it with I, your own eyeballs. <laughs> I did. Okay. Uh-huh. Look, this man has been next to the telescope. How about this? I'll, I'll try yeah. to, I'll try to hook you up with my buddy who was on the actual team. Awesome. Um, building it. Awesome. Okay. Actually, I mean, just for the heck of it, I mean, what little, what little info while standing there watching somebody or dealing, even, I guess, dealing with the, were, was it the product life cycle? What, what were you doing with the telescope? Were there pieces in there with the? I, I didn't interact with it. I tried to get on that project. Oh, <laughs> like, okay. You're near. Okay. I've seen it. I saw it in its um, bay where it's being hand built by dudes in bunny suits. Um, it's real. It's not a, it's not a conspiracy. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. Nice. Well, also the idea of that telescope is, uh, it's not visual, right? It uses some other wavelength to mm-hmm. peer deeper into the universe. Yeah. I don't know the actual details. Well, I thought you're a fan of it. 
uh, it has like what seven i only know like seven layers to protect it from the heat of the sun and it's yep. like as long as a football or tennis field yeah tennis, tennis court tennis tennis court and then but there's other i think there's different sensors not just a i think there's one there's light and then heat and all all the, mm-hmm. a bunch yeah. of different sensors i think something like uh, I, I don't even know i want to say over 10 but gotcha Anyways, uh, kind of something jumping, I forget what Emmett said, but it made me think about uh, if you were unhappy with your work and you, it made you leave and then you created Thriving Turtle, maybe do you have thoughts on how the nine to five job sucks? I think that's an interesting topic. <laughs> Let's talk about how much it sucks to <laughs> clock in. Uh, just <laughs> as in is we as humans is, is, I mean, I'm thinking from a Thriving Turtle standpoint, mm-hmm. having someone clock in at to work nine to five, is that something that's... No, um, no, you can't be going out on the internet and telling millions of people to quit their jobs, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to just, you're going to deconstruct our society. If people don't I'm okay show with up. that. <laughs> Deconstructing, but to construct something, uh, to criticize it for something better, critical, cr- critically uh, breaking it down. People mm-hmm. need to show up to their cubicles. Oh, we're all about open office, open office plans, man. So cute. I don't like it's any walls. different. You still get a little thing, right? Your, desk and <laughs> your little okay. territory. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't help with globalization. Uh, I, I was supporting teams in Vietnam, supporting teams in the UK, um, Hong Kong. So it's like nine to five was actually like seven to like four plus showing up at 6 p.m., randomly and you know some weekends all that but uh to to answer to answer your question um it's not that the nine to five is bad i think the way we institute it is not that great i think the reasons we suck it up and subscribe to it are terrible um and i think i think reality is i don't believe everyone should start their own business but i don't think you should have a barrier to try, right? You know, you will have insecurity, self-doubt, imposter syndrome. What the hell am I doing, right? Mm-hmm. That was my story. Um, but I mean, that's, that was great that you said uh, not everyone should start a business. I agree with that. I think there are some people that I've, uh, when I work in a, um, at a company where there's, I mean, 2000 employees and I could see certain people there, there's, they seem super happy or they seem, uh, I don't, some of them were actually really happy, but there are some that I want to say content. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, some of them I, are on prescription drugs. <laughs> some, yeah. Some of them, I don't know. I don't, maybe they were on drugs, but, but some of them did seem they were content. And that's a, I think that's a great word for if you're content in the nine to five, that's mm-hmm. great. But oddly, I think human beings, I, we, there's, uh, I forget who said this, where uh, we as hunt hunters and gatherers, we used to go catch a deer and there's mm-hmm. massive amounts of endorphins from catching that deer, bringing mm-hmm. it back to the tribe and eating it. <laughs> but nowadays we go to work two weeks later um, or four weeks later, whatever it is, your, your pay cycle, you go get a check. Then you could go buy some, some beef at the store and then grill it at home. It's the, the abstraction is so far where we've lost emotional connection with this world this mm-hmm. construct that's just my theory i don't have an answer for it. i do I, I think there's a different way to look at it though is that say you you're in america you turn into an adult mm-hmm. if you if you start with nothing right you don't have experience a career or whatever right 
going to get a job and showing up 40 hours a week. Somebody will give you a paycheck and that'll allow you to rent a place to stay, mm-hmm. you know, figure out your transportation, buy food and kind of get these necessities down. But we do live in a much more complicated world in that we also need things like insurances and mm-hmm. uh, subscriptions to digital entertainment. And so mm-hmm. to get those kind of things is not as simple as being a hunter gatherer because a hunter gatherer would get the, the meat mm-hmm. and then go live in their tent or whatever. Right. And mm-hmm. there wasn't more to life, mm-hmm. but this life that we have now has all of these wonders, the possibility of travel, right. The possibility mm-hmm. of communication. And, and I think to have all of this, incredible society, the average person in the U S gets all this stuff that would blow a caveman's mind away. Right. Mm -hmm. So is it, is it a fair trade to say, Hey, look, I started with nothing. If I show up here and do a good job, they're going to pay me, you know? And, and for a lot of people, if, if you enjoy that security and know, Hey, look, all I gotta do is show up and give my good effort and do a good job. And then I'll keep getting paid. I'll have insurance. I'll be able to take care of my kids. You know? So I think for a lot of people that is exactly what they need, right? I can buy a new Toyota. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm if I'm not too stupid with my money, I can I can do well. And you know what? If I keep at it and do a great job, I can move up and do better and better. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, depending on the person or the, or the company or the the career, right? It can be can be good for a lot of people. I think mm-hmm. until until uh, I think I don't uh, I theorize many people get to the point in America where you start seeing that there's inequalities and I'm not, I'm, I agree with what you're saying. I'm just adding when you, I'm, I don't know whether you're somebody's 25 years old or 35 years old. Once they reach a point where they're watching enough news, they're Mm -hmm. seeing corporate greed and they start questioning that, that American Mm -hmm. lifestyle. I'm, I totally agree. Yes, we have, if you're born in America, you are rich. When you look at, you could be the poorest person in America. You are considered rich in the, in the sense that if you have drinkable water mm-hmm. and a place to, and a place to sleep, that is rich to the rest of the world. When you're looking at so many millions of people starving in Africa or India or whatnot, dude, so many Americans are too snobby to drink tap water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I, I think you guys are hitting it like solidly on the head. Like you know, with this transition into society and having this contentness, right? It's not wrong. Um, mm. It's more of do we do we set up set us up for success where we understand fundamentally what does my job or career serve me? Mm. You know, you, you know, you work at SpaceX, you, you work for Elon Musk, right? Um, but is it, you get to work on cool stuff, you know, if that the part that you're really looking for, then yeah, it serves. If you're not there for that, you know, there's a lot of stories about how it's not great working conditions. Mm, yeah. That's how I feel like if you're there doing amazing stuff, I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and but and you, but if you want the highest paying, you know, reward for your effort, then there might mm-hmm. be a different company that'll pay you better to yeah. do less of a job. Absolutely, and I think I think you actually hit it. You know, a topic I have ex- extreme bias on this. So if you have to cut it out for monetization, but you said you know how we have to have a job mm-hmm. to have insurance. Mm-hmm. That is literally saying we'll keep you alive as long as you produce for the community so there's literally no space to just be like i'm taking a break yeah i'm not even saying like disconnect from society go full hippie and you know go on a commune i'm literally saying like i 
I've been working for 10, maybe you guys for whoever's listening, 10, 20, 30 years. And like, you literally do not have the opportunity to just, I'm going to take a month off to get my head on straight. Mm. I, we've just, we're busy surviving a global pandemic. Maybe I need a month to just feel like, yeah, I've struggled. I've suffered. I've known people who've passed away. Um, I'm more aware of struggles in Syria, Ukraine, you know, pick it, right? Mm -hmm. Where's your opportunity to just rest and heal? Yeah. Yeah, Even for the job interviews, there's a lot of, at least in the IT world, I'm I'm assuming this is in maybe other fields, but Mm -hmm. in the IT world, if you have a six-month break on your resume, because in the IT field, if you've done well for yourself, you could your salary is pretty decent, so you could probably save up money and take a six month break. But if you go interview somewhere and and some hiring manager says, uh, "Hey, you have a six month break between this time and this time, what's going on?" and they it's a very very negative connotation mm-hmm. on that situation. They, yeah, were you smuggling drugs or what? They they <laughs> take it. No, actually, I've had I've I'm, I think I had a. Man, it's been so long. I think I had a three-month break on one of my jobs, mm-hmm. and I felt—I don't remember if they actually said it. They were saying, "Oh, were you not good enough at a, as a programmer to be hired somewhere else?" And it took you three months to find a job. I'm like, "Whoa, that's kind of <laughs> jeez, man! <laughs> you really jumped to conclusion there. That's ridiculous." I, I think it's your falling out of the normal behavior. Yes, yeah. is what's really happening, right? So for the the average American, there's this desperation to stay employed because they've run their expenses up to max out their income. Mm-hmm. So they they can't they've trapped themselves into not being able to take time off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and what if it was like, hey, yeah, I took three months off because um, my family member is going through some treatments and hiring a caretaker is ridiculous and frankly no one's going to caretake like i caretake because i just love them Mm. that sounds like a reasonable you know reason to me and yet like you said we're going to look down upon it nor do i owe anyone any explanation right yeah yeah it should be it should have been in those situations just ask the the hiring manager should just ask and not imply or conclude Mm. that i'm unhirable because of i took a three no, but you don't understand because now that threatens their insecurity. Yeah, yeah, no, that that really does. I think because then uh, Ooh, I, oh, projecting. I, yeah. I think um, <laughs> I'm stuck to this job. How come you're not stuck to a job? There is a different company where they interviewed me. I didn't have this. wasn't that I took a break, but the way I answered their questions, they started asking me, "Are you going to be uh, what was the word? Are you going to be loyal to our company? Are you gonna Are you gonna plan to be here for five years? We want you." 40 to 60 hours a week for the next five years. Yeah. I'm thinking, hell no. Yeah. This is I'm a business this, relationship. This, you're, you guys are running a business. I myself am a business. I'm in this field to make money. Yeah. So if yeah. I find a page, if I find an offer letter from somewhere else that pays a lot more then I'm going to consider it, if this company that I'm, that I'm working for and they don't treat me well, then mm-hmm. I'm going to look for somewhere else. But it was a, it was a weird way. They were looking for a workaholic. They were mm-hmm. trying to question me to say, Hey, are you a workaholic? We want you at, no, they want the guy that will give the most to the company, right? They're not there They're to looking help for people. someone to take advantage of. Yeah. I saw, I saw a funny meme. I have to say it. It was, uh, it was like some dude went for an interview and I was like, Hey, can you explain the gaps in your employment? He goes, yes, I can. Can you explain the gaps in your staffing? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why don't people want to work here? Yeah. <laughs> Why do you need to hire somebody? That's Thank awesome. You. 
Oh, I'm a hundred percent on board with that. And, and it just leans into more like, you know, this life is short business. Mm. And if, yeah, one of my dreams is like, I want to go live in Hawaii for like three months. Hawaiian shirt helps, right? Wait, um, why three when, months? Um, because I feel like all that tropical weather, I'm going to get tired of it. I'm like, it's a wonderful place, but it's also tiny islands. And there's only so many things to do in tiny islands. Summer or winter? Uh, I'm going to pick winter. I'm going to pick I, don't, I don't know what the difference is in Hawaii, but <laughs> I think um, the... no, no tourists is a difference. Ah, smart man. Mm. Cause don't they have the, like the hur- is it hurricanes or, uh, during the, the November, is it not Hawaii? Hawaii? Don't they have, oh, they have like extra rainbows. What do they call it out there? It's not hurricanes, <laughs> it's not monsoons, typhoons, extra uh, rainy. Oh Maybe. Anyways. Yeah, Hawaii's paradise. <laughs> yeah. What would what would be the how would you do this? Would you uh, Airbnb a mansion or would you could you buy a van when you get there and then sell the van? Uh, I man, that van life like every time I see it, is like it looks cool, and then I remember I'm five ten, I cannot stand up in these things. They have taller vans now, like the Mercedes Sprinter. Oh, the Sprinter, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. I pay extra pretty penny for that one. <laughs> They're like a hundred k. What's you get for oh, being man. tall, sucker? <laughs> Oh no, I'm Asian and tall. I can't win it. <laughs> if you like if you like tall Asian stuff, please like and subscribe to this podcast. Uh, right. Let's let's jump out of this uh work sucks jo- uh topic and then let's jump into so before Thrive, Thriving Turtle you were uh co- contracting to or was that contracting to I was aerospace full-time. Oh, full-time? Yeah, to the furniture company. Uh, managing their PLM system. Okay. Um, yeah. And like I said, I was thinking way too much about where, what I was doing with my life and what I was going to do coming out of this global pandemic. Hmm. And re- it really hit me. And I was like, yeah, I'm not just okay. is not good enough anymore because yeah. I do not want to be the guy who wakes up and like, it's I'm 60 now I'm quote unquote retired or something. And now I'm going to start my life. No, 67, bro. <laughs> hey, I'm, did you, gonna, did you learn anything in the furniture world that, uh, us average people don't know that furniture is expensive. And okay. if you can just go straight to like Indonesia, Vietnam and buy it, it is so cheap. Yeah. But then you got to ship it. Right. And now you figure out the expensive part. Oh, okay. <laughs> you got to put it in a container and how many, you know, like, 60 inch sofas can you shove in a container can i make my own couch is there anything special to it is it just wood and cloth and stuff you can make it will it be comfy mm-hmm. do, okay. do two or three rounds i think you'll get there all right is that is that your desktop that's uh chiming you got, um, you got booty calls be. coming in or what uh, i i hope so <laughs> <laughs> if you drop out immediately we'll know that you got a great booty call <laughs> and we'll be cheering for you and hopefully the drive I, is less than three hours. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Uh, my partner, she's, she's just downstairs. So she'll, she'll get a hoot from that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so much closer than three hours. <laughs> much closer. All right. Before, how long were you doing that, uh, furniture, um, PNL, PL, PLM. Um, I did that. I Wait, what's that, that stand for? Product life management? Product lifetime? Mm. Product lifecycle? Product lifecycle management. Okay. Um, I did that for about a year, right? And then um, what were you doing before that? 
same thing, different company. Mm. For, for how long? That was like a little over two and a half years. Was that, did you say you did, you're doing that for aerospace? Or? No, that, that was consumer electronics. Aerospace before that was, um, I did that for like a year and a half or so. Um, and before that was same company, um, but in quality, doing a lot of part inspections and product um, production equipment inspections. Helicopters? Uh, you can't DOD say? lawyers say I can't say anything. Okay. <laughs> so really cool airplanes. I'll, I'll put it, I'll put it this way. Um, you know, you get a clearance and it's like, oh, it's cool. It's secret. Bro, it's, <laughs> it's worse. Oh. It's bureaucratic nightmare. Oh, uh, yeah. We got to keep our secrets, man. You can't let, can't let the bad guys know what we got. Oh, oh, you know, the, you know, the worst part is getting that clearance is like, um, there's this form called SF-86. And it's, if you're getting clearance, fill out 120 pages. Oh. And, and part of it's like, I need you to give me the last connection. People who've known you for the last 10 years who can oh, vouch yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm not sure if I have friends <laughs> <laughs> who will vouch for me. <laughs> oh, yeah, you'd have to really rewind back to like high school and college. and. Yeah, I'm like, uh, I didn't really keep track of my friends. We're not really close. <laughs> I, yeah. I I don't remember it being 120 pages. I did it back in 2003. Mm -hmm. And I feel, I remember that it was up to 10 years. Every address that you lived at, anybody that could vouch for those addresses and those timelines of where you worked. But yeah. um, <laughs> try my landlord, bro. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of checks with my name on it. <laughs> um, and I think it was, I want to say it was like 20, 30 pages, maybe 20, but. Um, it, I mean, it is lengthy because you're trying to fill in every, mm -hmm. every time you change an address and every time you change the job and where you, I think where you banked and all, all was, it, was it like, have you ever traveled to Istanbul? Oh man. Uh, they're like, have you ever been to China? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and they're like, do you know anyone who's in the communist party? And I'm like, probably because <laughs> they survived. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. They the FBI agent came and interview. He came, when he came to interview me, he came to my place, knocked on the door, and then he asked if uh, we could go sit in his car and talk. And I was like, "Oh, do you want to come in?" He's like, "No, it's it's uh, more private in the car." And then so it was it was actually super easy. He just said, uh, "So um, he must have memor. I'm guessing he probably memorized a bit of my that." Um, mm -hmm that paperwork that I sent in. So he, he just kind of clarified some stuff or he was probably listening to my story to make sure it connected. So he's like, yeah, when you lived over in this part in San Diego, uh, what was the address again? Uh, what, what was the color of the house? It was really, really easy. I never knew you went through that. Uh, that was to, uh, I want to say 2000 by time. I want to say I submitted the paperwork. This was probably 2006. And then I think I completed yeah. 2007. I might be somewhere. He, he probably there. saw how shitty your apartment was, and he's like, "This guy, <laughs> this guy is not getting paid by any foreign governments right now. <laughs> he's not on anybody's bankroll." That's probably probably because I I think I did open the the front door pretty wide, so he probably could see inside. Pretty yeah. Well, so yeah. <laughs> What's that? A Nintendo Cube? <laughs> Guys broke. <laughs> but I was surprised how easy that that interview went. It was. 
he asked a few questions. I, I feel like it was only 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, I think he turned on the radio because I, I, what I, I was actually from your dad that told me he, your dad said when he went through it, don't be surprised. He said, don't be surprised if they ask you to go to a hotel room because that hotel room might be better sound, sound, uh, suppression or whatever. Jamming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So in the car, he actually turned up the radio a tiny bit, just enough to, I don't know, just to get some extra sound in there. Probably seeing if you know the oldies. <laughs> How, are you, How what is American the, is he? From what Billy is, Joel. <laughs> Gangster rap? He's in. He's good. What is what is the turtle referencing in your Thriving Turtle? Uh, the tur- tur- You know, fun, funny about it is it was just my favorite animal growing up. Oh. And, I, and I wanted to put some ownership of me into it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's turtle. Like, you're going slow something auspicious in Asian culture. Um, and I just like it. Uh, I'll tell you this. There's always this distinction between turtles and tortoises. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't tell you which one's which. One of them is on the land and one of them has flippers. Yep. Is that the thing? Yep. I actually don't know. For as much Animal Planet stuff I watch, I <laughs> I'm going to guess the tortoise has flippers. No, opposite. Turtle. Wrong? Sea turtle. Tortoise looks like a... You know, walks on land, looks like an elephant with a house on it. Yeah. Ah, uh, sea okay. turtles. Wait, what was it? Tortoise is on land. Tortoise. Yeah. Sea- oh. Turtle Tortoise is flippers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just think of uh, Finding Nemo, the sea turtle. No, well, that's probably where I messed up. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had no flippers. Mm. Yeah, but they had swords. Yeah. <laughs> they spent a lot more time in the pizza joint than, than in the ocean or the sewer. <laughs> yeah, and they had was it radioactive waste? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh what are some uh interesting stories from from clients that you dealt with uh, through Thriving Turtle like some of the things that you helped out with, something mm-hmm. yeah. Tell us their personal story without no, well, their whole oh. <laughs> hide, hide the things that you need to hide. <laughs> so, um I'll start off with this. Um I I was actually more surprised at how similar our stories were across the board, across countries, across ages, um, across backgrounds, uh, which was, which was huge. Um, and I, and I felt like I, you know, to directly answer your question, like one of the funnier quite or more interesting, um, topics we talk about is all about like, you know, just kind of like, I want to stick it to my parents and be myself, but I'm scared to. Hmm. And, and it's, it's all variations of that. And I'm, and it made me really think about how our culture um, has this relationship with our older generation, um, with our personal identity. And I actually, um, in some ways compared to like, if you're LGBTQ plus and you're coming out of the closet, I think there's a lot of similar um, of that with Asians. So saying like, I don't want to, um, you, you actually might be LGBT plus and you're coming out to your parents and you're like, oh no, my parents are going to murder me. Right. Or like, I don't want to work in a doctor, lawyer, engineer, or I don't want to marry within my ethnicity or any of that. And it, and it really struck me of just like how, how not depth of our relationship we have with our older generation. Yeah, I'll add my personal story on that. So I, growing up, I felt that my 
my parents and family were very strict on me. So mm-hmm. I had a very similar mindset when I turned 18 years old. I wanted to do it, do things my way because I was always yelled at growing up mm-hmm. through the Asian household. And then on top of that, as I, as I, as I got um, more experienced in life mm-hmm. and it came quick because my, or for me, luckily I, I'm just very, my brain is always thinking. So mm-hmm. I, I take when I'm going to work at a corporate area, or I'm, I'm going to study at uni- university, I'm kind of looking at how people are interacting with each other and how people how people treat each other. So then I think about how my parents treated me. And mm-hmm. I, I know it's different when you're dealing with maybe a professor or a best friend mm-hmm. or a, even buying something at Starbucks. But you start seeing things that for me, I was like, no, that's that's my parents said to do this and do it this way or else I'm going to do it wrong. And it was very strict. I'm like, well, when I go to a Starbucks and order it this way, nobody's going to yell at me when I go to work. And especially things that were almost very contradicting to what they were saying. So mm-hmm. to go pursue my uh, computer networks degree and they being Vietnamese, they thought maybe going towards uh, nail salons or cutting hair would be an mm-hmm. easier route. And to me, I, as soon as I turned 18 or not, when I started going to college for it, I was like, I think there's a path here. I think I can make a lot of money doing this. Mm-hmm. It might take some time to get through school, but I think there's a lot of money here. Mm-hmm. And through some drama and financial situations, I don't blame my parents, but it, there was, there was a, there was, re, they didn't want me to go to a certain college for how much it costs, even though it wasn't that much really. Mm-hmm. But there was, they didn't want to sign the lo- for the loan, co-sign mm-hmm. for the loan. And that really caused me, I wanted to, I wanted to do it even more because they didn't want mm-hmm. that. And even, even after I got, I mean, five, seven, eight, ten years later, when they would see my offer letters from the companies I would get, and mm-hmm. they still actually didn't really wait were you sending them offer letters just to say i told you so <laughs> kind of that's how that's how so, so hey mom check this out maybe how, yeah how <laughs> howard is saying how how asian has the common story they wanted to stick it to the parents is i was kind of trying to show my parents like hey this this career is really i'm making some money so stop giving me a hard time just yeah. accept it accept actually mm-hmm. accept it and maybe even say hey Son, you're being successful. Please say that to me. That'd be kind of cool. But no, they, no, you can't say that. Yeah, they would never oh, say man. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, I really feel. Uh, is is it a matter saying. of uh, Asian cultures tend to have varying controlling parents? Is that? Uh, it, it's hugely complex topic. We could go like hours and hours on. We it. are here to do that. We got time. So let's, let's do it. <laughs> right. Um, I think one of. As generalized teams, one of them that I see is like um, a lot of parents are afraid that if they if they say, hey, good job, hey, you're doing great, right, um, that the kid will interpret as, oh, I don't have to work so hard anymore. Hmm. And if they if they if the parents think, oh, they won't work so hard anymore, then they'll fall into second place, 10th place, whatever. They'll fall back um, and then they'll their life will be ruined and over. Hmm. That's a very surviving mindset because when you think of like when people were starving and you're, you know, fighting to the front of the food line is your first or you're starving mm. again, that generational yeah. um, trauma being passed along. Um, another, another one is, is really just parents not knowing how to imagine, right. 
there was not that space to like, hey, what is, you know, a lot of our parents come to America or in the West, like, here's a better life for our kids. Yeah. Um, but it's against their value set. Like, I don't have to worry about food. I don't have to worry about getting shot, you know, water's clean sort of thing. Um, but they don't know, literally don't know how to imagine past that. And so that's actually mm. the part where, um, you know, the generation that follows, um, there it's kind of lonely, mm. right? And that's part of part of what I do is to say, like, hey, I want you to keep imagining because if we want better for our community, we have to do things that you know may have never been done before. We talk about like Asians in media, you know. I don't know if yeah. you guys watched everything everywhere all at once or crazy rich Asians or bling empire. Right. Oh, I haven't watched that one. I haven't watched everything everywhere all at once. It's, it's pretty interesting. It's abstract. It's pretty abstract. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I watch, I watch Shang-Chi. Does that count? It counts. Right. Okay. Because you look about like 30 years ago, right. When we think about Asians in movies, like Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, maybe yeah. Hong Kong cinema or something like that. Like, these, yeah. these guys paved the way. Um, and so, you know, what about living a life of success? Well, beyond just having material wealth, how about happy? How about having romance in your relationships of romantically satisfying? Um, whereas, you know, I look at my parents, they look like roommates to me, <laughs> right? <laughs> I've never actually seen them hold hands. No, but that, this, this fairy tale romance, that's a, a corrupting Western idea. Right. And do I really want to be waiting around for Prince Charming? Is that realistic <laughs> for him to love right. me for no reason? Just cause I'm pretty. Hmm. Interesting. Cool. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just playing devil's advocate. But why can't, why can't we just be love for being right? Just, uh, I mean, I'm, there I'm, are better people and worse people. Oh yeah. There are better people. So why you? Yeah. Right. Of all the people in the world, they, someone said, I choose you not in a Pokemon way, like literally I'm going to spend my time and energy and pull my resources and share my life experiences. Yeah. It's like, shit. Why can we do it better than a, Oh, this economically provides stability, right? This makes sense on paper. Mm. I'm going to dive into a a word you said earlier is imagination. I, I think I've been thinking about this a little bit. So, so the, when take, my parents who came from from Vietnam, the Vietnam War came to America. So their education level is not going to be probably uh, to... It's less than an American high schooler. Say, yeah. So mm-hmm. th- let's take John Doe, who I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make some potentially racist comment, but I don't mean it to be... About John Johnson? Ra- <laughs> so say, <laughs> say John Doe. John Doe, an average white guy. No, that means he's dead, though. You have to say, like, John... John Smith. John Keith. Okay, John Smith. So John Smith, his parents were probably born in America, and then their parents, so his grandparents were born in America. So they've had generational uh, privilege. Stability. Stability, privilege. Mm-hmm. So then probably his grandparents had the money, and then the, the, even the parents of the grandparents potentially were born in America too. So the grandparents were able to raise his parents, John's parents, and say, hey, whatever you want to be when you grow up, go for it. That's, mm-hmm. th- there's, a, there's a key thing in that, in that sentence, that Asian, Asia, 
potentially, I, I don't know if it's Asian culture, so there's something I'll, I'll throw out there for us to discuss. Mm-hmm. Is, is it built into the Asian culture to not say that? Or is it is it because we came from hard times, our parents came from hard times? Meaning, so John Smith's grandparents had the opportunity to buy a house, probably have a car. And they mm-hmm. told his parents, go ahead, be whatever you want to be when you grow up. And then his parents said that to John. So you get a generational line of this, this upbringing, this privilege, where then for Asians, our parents coming from Vietnam came to America who had to work two or three jobs to get by. Mm-hmm. And their, their imagination doesn't go to that idea of be whatever you want when you grow up. The imagination is I came from a, the parent, my, my parents say, I mm-hmm. would, I'm going to kind of paraphrase what they would say. It's like, they came from a war torn country. So it's my, my job to just do what they did, which is just find a job, get, get a paycheck and get food on the table. So it's the, I don't know the difference of culture upbringing. It's a combination of both. I don't really have an exact point. It's just, I have oh. a point. There's too much of this follow your dreams bullshit, <laughs> but <laughs> no, isn't it great if your kid becomes a pharmacist? No, I, I wouldn't. I, I, back, I would say no. You want your kid to smoke a lot of weed and work at Dairy Queen? I would. I would want them to be more than just a job. I actually have to walk that back. I'm kind of turning into an anti-Dairy Queen. <laughs> I was trying to make fun of myself from the last podcast where I was bagging on Dairy Queen as a job. <laughs> I think it's not a career, so I don't think there's anything wrong with Dairy Queen or working there. But I don't think anybody can work there and say this is all the career, all the contentment, all the fulfillment mm-hmm. I need. If because I, you can't get by on that pay. If I had to try to combine what I what I think you're getting at, but also with the empathy of what I'm thinking of, mm-hmm. is I would I think I would raise a kid I think if I was in the if I had a kid, I would try to tell them you're gonna you're gonna eventually get into a world where it costs money to live for the first mm-hmm. 18 years of your life or maybe more. You will have parents to take care of you, but there's a mm-hmm. point where you're going to have to potentially take care of yourself. Something mm-hmm. could happen to me. Something could happen to your mom mm-hmm. for now. While we could take care of you, we hope to raise you in a way that gives you the opportunities to do whatever you want. But with the focus on that in some day you will have to take care of yourself. So every action you do, whether mm-hmm. it be a job or get a paycheck, you have mm-hmm. to think about yourself is it sustainable? Is it is it morally right? I think mm-hmm. if you can support yourself, then do whatever makes you happy. Yeah, but I see way too many adults not supporting themselves. Yeah, I think that's that's I think that's uh like incapable, non-independent, uh, non-productive people. And and so and so I'll jump in as like the kind of the middle of where yeah. um you know before I get tagged as some like libertarian anarchist something like that right like <laughs> it's we, all going we, down the tube <laughs> we we live we live in a society in a community um so i believe i do believe in some ways we have to work together and we have to you know in some way contribute yeah but i'm also saying you're not defined by that right so in your example of like hey wouldn't you be happy your kid's a pharmacist i would say i would be i would love if my kid was happy if they were happy to be a pharmacist, if they were happy to be a yoga teacher, if they're yeah. happy to being a stand-up comedian. Um, no, stand-up comedians aren't happy. <laughs> talk <laughs> about a talk about a place to not make money. <laughs> yeah, and and does it does it have a place in our society? Yeah, I do. Um, and I, I take that. I actually really look up to stand-up comedians because um, they bring joy 
in places that may not normally have joy. Um, yeah. And I think that is, during this period of like COVID, I watched so much stand up because I was like, man, people are killing it when I'm feeling like crap. People are, you know, flipping and saying, here's a place where I can enjoy it or yeah. like see some silver lining. And I was like, that's the perspective I needed. Yeah. So they're providing entertainment. Mm-hmm. Entertainment is important. Yeah. Otherwise, well, we would, uh, so then what I what I worry about is the individual who doesn't contribute at all to society and just consumes entertainment. Mm-hmm. Well, well, doesn't doesn't produce anything. Doesn't doesn't make anybody else's life any better. They're just there living. And you know, for some, and I that I think we get into the argument of like we have a society has advanced so much that you know for some people. That's all, if that's what they all, they can really get out. That's okay too. No, we all have a human potential. No, man. That's oh man. (laughs) I, I, I feel, I feel like we're, we're at this point where, you know, we should, we need to stop gatekeeping everything because we just have, we live in abundance, right? Yeah. Really, if all you want to do is just like doodle and play video games and, as long as you're like contributing, you know, in some way, shape, or form, that's not achieving your potential, possibly. But like, no, if you're just doodling and play video games, there's a cost to all the food you're consuming and the roof over your head and the healthcare and yeah, and the transportation. Do we, do we have an excess of food? Yeah, you're you're not transporting a lot, right? If you're healthcare, do we have an excess of healthcare? In large ways, yeah. I mean, excluding COVID and, you know, those bits, right? Yeah, we don't yeah. just leave people dying on the street. No, we leave them dying of medical bankruptcy. So, you know, <laughs> there's a topic that I would definitely, you know, <laughs> that we need to do something about, right? Yeah. And j- just the idea of being, because I this was very personal for me in that, like, um, trying to disconnect my value as a man, my attractiveness mm. as a man by my ability to provide, Right. Yeah. And just saying like, yeah, I'm not better or worse than anyone else because I make more or less of money or my career title status, houses, whatever. Right. No, I'm just, what, who am I? Do you like me just for being me? Yeah. So on that, I guess what I'm against is mooching. Yeah. I, I think if, if all Americans were privileged enough, whether they're mm-hmm. white Asian, Mexican, black, or whatever, if they could... Native American. All, all of it. Any human. Any human and any American, if they have the privilege to raise their children and teach them that, what I said earlier, at the age of 18, you may have to take care of yourself, or it might be earlier, but mm-hmm. morally, teach them the morals, but uh, teach them the morals where they should want to contribute to a society. Now... Mm-hmm. That kind of breaks down, I think, sometimes on when people turn, when they get older, even mm-hmm. the 20s or 30s, if you realize, if you realize there's politicians screwing the system, mm-hmm. there's um, these insurance companies screwing the system. Now, I'm, I don't know where I'm going with this if, point. If but the game is rigged, why should I even play? I, that's at, at some point, when I hear other people, I complain a lot about that, you know, me. But yeah. then when I see other people that give up on life, give mm-hmm. up on if they mm-hmm. want to be a bum, there's a part of me where I'm, I kind of empathize. I'm like, well, I, I kind of, I could see it when I work. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. <laughs> when I work nine to five, I hate my job. Sometimes <laughs> I, I freaking want to 
go pulse or or kill myself. Not really. I, I should probably flag myself. <laughs> oh, not a lot of time. That's about definitely going to get flagged. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, it gets so bad where you 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 don't like your job. You hate your job. Yeah. Um, and you get movies like uh uh, uh was it Falling Down back in the mm-hmm. yeah those early two thousands. Um, so they didn't even say what his job was, did they? It, oh, I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, they're, even they're trapped. Even the TV show uh, Office Space, I think that mm-hmm. has such hilarious connections to. I mean, that's exactly what they're they're trying to show how ridiculous the mm-hmm. office can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, is it working for all humans? I don't know. I uh, was at the last podcast or before where I said I sometimes theorize: is it just ten percent of humans producing enough to sustain mm-hmm. all of humanity? Because when I go into an office and I see how many people people doing work, it seems. Mm-hmm. A lot of non-productive people. It seems like a lot of non-productive yeah. people. It's ridiculous. Yeah. In a corporate environment, it, it seems obscene. I don't know how our world continues going. If the corporate world is like that, I imagine our government is 10 times worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Government workers are not typically. Oh, no, not even that. Well, yeah. If government <laughs> workers don't want to produce a whole lot, they just want to collect their, their salary because they, they know they're almost guaranteed to have their job. But then you get the other, other side of that is you get the uh, politicians or high high ranking officials or whatever that can use their power for their uh for their gain. Wait, is this where you're working towards Howie? Do you want all these stressed out Asian Americans to defy their parents, drop out of their professions and just go ahead and be happy? Um I would say you don't have to drop out or anything, but I would say why not prioritize happiness? Um, yeah. and, and I'll, I'll go back to example and exa- maybe a flipping example. Let's say, let's just say you're a kid and you're 10 years old. Just by by the way, the messengers also, it gives us a sound over here too. Oh, it does. Yeah. Uh, goodness. How do I, I've already quit it out. I don't know how to disable it. Oh, oh. Um, is there a volume button separate from the zoom? Sometimes it might be in the task, uh, Ooh, area at the bottom, right. The, what is it called? The, uh, it's like a running app that even if you hit the X, it doesn't fully close it out. So you have might have to right click close it okay i'm going to turn it on and mute it so hopefully mute notifications i hope yeah. for eight hours go away okay so, cool this will make how we look professional <laughs> so we're, it's all good so you were talking about uh the hating jobs type of thing yeah and, and an example i was going like you know you're talking about like hey we're you know parents trying to prepare their kids for the world yeah and so so i was saying like what if you know, just by sheer bad luck, you're like a 12 year old kid and you lose your parents. Yeah. That happens. It happens. Yeah. Right. This is, I can go outside and be like, there are shelters um, or orphans like that. Mm-hmm. And I think about the community that I want to live in, that I imagine is if random shit like that happens, I want, I would love the community to step in and be like, hey, you know, we're not going to make you super wealthy or, you know, like here's a million bucks, whatever, but we will equip you to, you know, empower yourself and like, Hey, you want to go to school? We'll get you to school. You can, you know, study something that meaningful for you and you, you can be a part of society still and not just be, Oh, you know what sucks. (laughs) It sucks to be you. Right. And this is, and I think we have the resources for it. Do we have crappy politicians? Yes. Do we have systems, existing systems that don't make this work? Yes. Um, but I'm thinking, 
I'm thinking and dreaming of a tomorrow. And if today's today will get by, but I want a better tomorrow. That's the dream that every immigrant parent has for their kids. That's the part of the dream that I want to keep going. Yeah, but Howie, if we help all these poor people, then I can't buy my BMW. Sorry, man. It's, it has real wood on the dash. Oh, <laughs> right. And and I, 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 people definitely have accused me of being like idealist, naive, whatever. And the alternative is to believe I'm powerless and the world sucks and I can't change it the smallest bit. Mm. I don't like that. Yeah. I, I change my world in small bits and it brings me so much joy. Like more joy, more joy than making a six-figure job in IT. I think I'm I'm a bit of a weirdo where I do feel that I think I'm too small of a person, too small of uh, figuratively speaking, in mm-hmm. this this economy, in this society, in this nation. But I will still take every effort to do things that I think are morally good. Mm-hmm. And I hope to produce a podcast that's awesome. I, I hope someday in the near future, my investments will go well where I could spend free time creating a cryptocurrency that could help the world mm-hmm. and or working on AI programming to help the world. It's a, I, I think, so when I think about um, like UBI, does it get to a point where if universal basic income, would people, would too many people just sit and do nothing? I think there's still enough people like me Mm-hmm. that would still do things to help the world. Cause I, I mm-hmm. feel, I don't know what it is. I think humans, I think I theorize there's at least 10, 20% somewhere that they are workaholics and, or they want to do things to progress mm-hmm. humankind. So I think a UBI would work, but I, there's no way to know. Currently, no, people do well, greedy, but, but like literally what's the point of technology and automation, if not to make our lives easier. Right. So I can buy luxury goods and make other people in society feel jealous of me. I, I hope you can buy luxury goods and I hope you can cut off the second part and just enjoy your luxury goods, right? Because No, no, there's no good to a luxury good if other people can't see I have the luxury <laughs> goods. I think that's a good time to bring out Jeff. Jeff. Does he buy expensive clothes? He has a lot of automation that makes him a lot of money. Yeah. So No, but what I'm saying is like, why, why do average working people buy coach purses for $5,000? Because they want to feel, they want to feel good. And that makes them feel good because other people are jealous, right? They don't not show it to anybody. For some people, for some people, when they do it as a function of, I want to look down upon people, you're now describing my business of why emotional intelligence is a valuable thing, right? Yeah. What that whole scarcity mindset, I can only feel good if I make someone feel bad. Yeah. is a load of shit. Right. Well, I can't enjoy my Range Rover if everybody else has a Range Rover. Jeff agrees with you. I, I fundamentally disagree. And 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 I and I say this from I I volunteer um I mentor um high school kid. Yeah. And I just do it because it feels good to give back to society. It feels good to be a resource that when I was 16 I wish I had and my my life would have been so different if I had it. Um I don't get paid for it and anything I do beyond showing up on Saturdays is bonus, but man, does it feel good? It feels good to change your life. And I feel 
sometimes, you know, if, if you're a parent, um, if you have a close friend that you can be there, whoever in your community, because we're humans and so we're wired for community, right? Um, how you sh- how you build each other up is your business, right? Mm. But building each other up, uh, serving each other is actually really serving yourself, you know, and, you know, segue to a point, this business that I'm built is the most selfish thing that I've ever wanted to do because I want to build the world that I want to live in. This is my story. You guys, just as much as you guys are side characters in my story, and I'm yeah. a side character in your guys' story, right? This yeah. is about how we party up in an RPG and make this work and go fight dragons or space aliens or whatever, right? Okay. So do we have a message for the Asian Hustle Network at this moment? Because it's hustling. No, but that's a lot of uh, Asian American second generation that probably share the same angst, right? Same oh. struggles. Oh, so the Asian Hustle Network, if they, well, I, I, th- I mean, I, I think the message wouldn't be just to them, meaning any, any Asian that thinks that they have issues dealing with their parents and their work, and they, if they could find some advice through How, Howie and Thriving Turtle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, I, what wisdom can we impart right now? A focus on happiness? No, I, I think I can uh, even though it's, uh, I think the discussion we had earlier, I think that was a healthy amount of uh, pros and cons, or of different uh, two different angles. I think yeah. it's, it's healthy to talk about these things. What if my choices make me a little bit happier, but make my parents a lot more unhappy? That's okay, because because you can trust them that they're humans who can still grow. Right? They might be 50, 60, 70, 80, whatever. Right? Um, and they can still grow and still learn and you can trust each other and you can believe in each other. No, but I'm imparting misery and disappointment upon them to them. All is lost. They put all their hopes and dreams into me becoming a pharmacist. And, and what you can do is teach them a new perspective that, yeah, you're not a pharmacist, but you're something bigger and better for you and your story. Yeah. Yeah. I I think oddly, if I had to try to take my parents or I feel like they wouldn't be happy unless they saw that like I could give them a million dollars. I, I think I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's still yell and at they'll me. Shut up. I think maybe they would <laughs> shut up if I gave them a million dollars, which is, that's a terrible Asian culture. Maybe it is terrible. And, and that goes back to that imagination. They're so locked into this one way of Success and happiness will only be if my kid gives me a million dollars, two million dollars, whatever. The number doesn't matter. But isn't that built into Asian culture, the idea that the younger generation is there to support the older generation? That there's this this loyalty and this fidelity and this duty yeah. to then support and, the older generation at some point. Yeah, and I and I I have a specific side to that, and it is I think it's terrible that it's that this um, system is built out of obligation and not mm-hmm. built out of desire that like, man, my parents are old. My grandparents are old. You know what? Quitting my job for six months a year to take care of them and be, just be with them. Cause I don't know how much time that I've got left. Um, because you know what? I just loved them. And they were so important to me rather than the man, my parents just beat into me that this is something I have to do. And you know what? They, you know, they never treated me right. And they made me do all these things that were just serving them. And now I have to take care of them. And now I can start my life maybe when 
they pass away at 60, you know, when I'm 60 or 70, and we continue to cycle on our kids. It's like, now I'm 60 and now I need to be taken care of. So my Yeah, kids, now I'm the boss. Right? So I'll, I'll throw out there, I, I even curious on Emmett's uh, thoughts on it, because I'll, um, I know me, me and Emmett go back a long way, so we, we probably know each, a lot of each other's opinions on certain things. But I think let's play this uh, play a scenario where if a parent were to raise a child and the parent is transparent in their thoughts where they tell the child, hey, I'm raising you. This takes a lot of money, but I'm not this is not your burden. I'm just explaining to you. I, I love you. I'm spending my effort to to give you the best that I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I have a good day or a bad day, I hope you see that in the long run, I've 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 taken a lot of effort to try to do my best to raise you. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, so this kid turns 18 years old. They don't have to feel indebted, but they could feel indebted. They could feel thankful mm-hmm. for that their parents raised. Them with appreciative would be a lot better than indebted. Okay, appreciative. Mm-hmm. Um, in I don't know if American, if I want to say in American culture, often it's the kid turns eighteen and they're out the door. Bye. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the culture. Whereas, yeah. unfortunately, the Asian culture, it's it's you. No, the American culture has changed. They keep mooching until thirty. Oh, I don't. I, I I don't know how the current. Uh, I don't know how the kids currently feel. Yeah, they don't have independence anymore. They just hang around <laughs> and keep keep accepting food, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they they don't have this desire to get your driver's license and do your own thing. Mm-hmm. It may be because they feel that the system is so rigged that it's impossible out there. They may feel the odds are so stacked, or they may feel that you know their feelings are more important. It, and and you know you know what's really funny is. Um, you know, I would say at least for me, and I think many of our parents teach, taught us to be so independent, right? Yeah. You need to be strong. The system's against you. You can't trust anyone. You can't rely on anyone. Yeah, I like that. Um, so we all suck at asking for help. Oh, uh, yeah. And so it, what if you want to build something bigger than just within your capabilities? What if you want to, you know, build a small business, mm-hmm. right? To expand to like three employees, right? Or three partners. How, how the hell do we ask for help? Yeah. And, and, and so in Asian culture, it's so transactional, right? You help me one time, you help me this time. But what if, you know, only one in 10 guys want to start a business? Mm-hmm. What is he going to ask? No one else. He can't give and take nobody. Yeah. What about all the red envelopes with cash that grandma and grandpa give you? Where does that factor into this equation? Yeah, I, I appreciated it. And (laughs) I hope that when I have the financial means that I'm able to financially take the care, take care of the things that I want to. And then the excess I will take, I will pay back um, to Mm -hmm. those people that have helped me in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, the reason why I said earlier, I was thinking that I thought you were going to take an angle where kids is kids don't choose to be born. So if a parent makes the kid feel indebted, that's not fair. Um, it is not. And then I, I, I was, I thought you were going to take an angle that the kid should never feel indebted or something. But I think the word appreciation was a good angle. Mm-hmm. I'll take that angle. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you don't choose to be born. So as a parent, you have a choice, right? You're choosing to bring a child into the world, more or less. Generally, mm-hmm. in most cases, you're choosing to have a child. So you're kind of signing up for, hey, I got to I gotta get this kid from, you know, puking, farting infant to mm-hmm. something that can take care of itself. Yeah. Right? So to me, I think that independence and that ability to take care of yourself is kind of the dividing line of whether you're a kid or an adult, right? I mean, isn't that part of it? Like, I'm not a kid anymore because I can take care of myself in whatever fashion that is, right? Because you have, you do have kids that run away at 14 and go Mm -hmm. become very independent and it usually doesn't work out well, but there's some, there's some crazy independence there. Or there's people that never leave their family and they're always a part of their family. They're always a part of that tight, small community. Is that just as good? Is that just a different way to live? I would, the, uh, just for the, the 14 year old leaving, I, there, there's so many possibilities. I think that'd be unfair to say that blanket statement on that one. Cause I mean, what if the parents were abusive and drug? Yeah. Users? I'm saying it's usually not a good thing, but. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, yeah. I thought, okay. Okay. No, but say, say it's, say it's normal in America when you're 18, you can do what you want. You can get a job and get your own place and buy your own food. And you you can, you can figure out how to be independent at 18 in the U S it's hard for most people. To, to make that jump, right? Most people don't transition immediately from child to adult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, I wonder if today's society, is it is it good to be as dependent on our families or is it better to be independent? Is it better to... Yeah, I... I, I Obviously, I think our... We would think that you want somebody to be independent. Let me add some bunch of stuff on this. It may seem tangent, but I... Or I'm going to try to connect it. So say if... We got schools, the government pay for, pays for schools. The parents get to the point where they're just dropping the kids off and the parents are like, hey, teachers, you teach our kid. This, the government has a curriculum for the schools so mm-hmm. the kids are, are in daycare from the age of five to 18. So then these parents start to feel a uh, less responsibility for their children. And that might... I. There could be on both sides. There's where parents let go and there's other parents that we have so much privilege in America. All of us, if we're born here, we, we have so much privilege. So it's a parent, especially uh, some parents may want to really take care of the children above and beyond, like take, let do the laundry for the children, do the Mm -hmm. dishes for the children. Don't, uh, don't reprimand them if they didn't, they get bad grades. That might be a, an odd uh, luxury that's pushed to the envelope now where kids are just on their phone all the time and the parents don't yell at them. I think it's, it's in America, we're going too far on everything so, from good and bad. So, yeah. so why can't we balance both and have both where you are independent, right? I can take care I can pay my own bills. I can take care of my own food. Um, but I'm also okay asking for help. Yeah. Yeah. Why, yeah. why, why is think, that not? And, and I think of it, you know, we're talking about transitioning to adulthood, right? There, there's been was like a solid, like, I want to say maybe nearly 10 years after I moved out of my parents' house. Yeah. Where I'm living in SoCal. I pay my own rent and all that. Right. But every time I went back to my parents' house, I would feel like, oh man, can't leave too late. There's like a pseudo curfew or something, uh-huh. or, you know, can't go out drinking with my friends because my mom thinks like, if I drink more than one beer that I'm a alcoholic or something, I'm like, 
Yeah. Yeah. Let's not talk about college. Right? <laughs> and, and that, that infantilization, because there is no transition from, Hey mom, do you know what a keg stand is? <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and I, and I look at it in other cultures, you know, we, we go very extreme and when, you know, in Caucasian, you get kicked out. Some kids kicked out at 18. Right. Yeah. Um, but we have like quinceaneras, we have bar mitzvahs, you know, as examples in other cultures. And it's like, yeah, you're like, you're an adult now. We, we know that there are kids, right. Mm-hmm. But socially there's a, there's a new view, right. Like mm-hmm. you're the, you're the newest of us, but you're one of us adults. Mm. I'll just add in some random thoughts on that. On top of that, uh, actually it might be connected back to about the parenting and stuff. So oddly in Vietnam in the last, uh, I went there in 2004, 2009 and 2018, I think. Mm-hmm. And repeat offender <laughs> during that time there from, from those 15 years difference, 14 years, but I saw, I think both polar sides of this, this, this discussion we're having where I saw parents being traditionally super strict on their kids. Mm-hmm. And then I started as the years as 2004, then 2009, I saw more and more where some parents were starting to be really easy on their kids. And I never got, I never, it, I think it was translating it from my thoughts in English to saying it to Vietnamese to a parent. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask them. I never got the chance to, but I wanted to say, where did you get these new, these Western quote unquote Western values or this upbringing of kids? Where did you get these ideas from? Not maybe I shouldn't have, if I would have asked them, maybe I should not say the Western, but to me it felt very Western. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I have an uncle that will never physically or he'll never physically or audibly audibly he'll never do anything negative towards his nieces or uh, his granddaughters. He'll never raise his voice and he'll never slap them on the hand or anything, which I think in America slapping on the hand is not, a, not okay nowadays, but no, I, I don't know. That's oh. what it seems like. I, that, well, I don't, I don't, that's, that's when I see parents around here, that's what it feels like to me. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't want to. It's wanna... best that I just stay away from children. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'll see uh, the granddaughters like, mess up the house like i mean tear some shit up they'll break shit and he and the uncle the the grand uh my uncle the grand their grandfather he's like oh no it's okay don't worry about it i'm like whoa like so you're saying young children need some kind of control and discipline i i think we're we're how he said earlier it should be a combination it should be kind of in the middle yeah we're, do, do do kids do kids need discipline yeah, they're like six years old and don't know how they fit into the world and society or even this family, right? Mm-hmm. And what, what what do kids do to figure out the boundaries? They keep pushing at boundaries till they figure it out, right? That's that's how you learn. That's how you, you know, I don't know, relatable, but it's like, I know exactly how high of a tree I could jump from by jumping off several trees and one of them was slightly too high, right? Mm. And I'm like, aha, this is my max limit, right? Um, or how hard I can run or how hard I can learn. Right. Hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not one for, you know, I have a stance, like, I don't believe hitting your kids, for example, works. It works in the short run, right? They don't, they learn not to do something, but it's a fear base. They're not afraid of the consequences. You're just afraid of getting hit. And so they don't actually learn the core of like, why shouldn't you do something? Why is it good for you or bad for you? They're just afraid of being hit. And so for some of them, they just live in fear. And for some other kids, they just like, now that I'm told not to do it, I must do it. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, if you play with matches and candles in the closet, I need to teach you that that's very bad. Yeah. So how do I how do I make that a severe enough lesson that I have you not burn the house down? You you teach you teach along with them like this is what happens when you light things on fire. You know, this yeah, is the and they're going to go cool, more fire. Right? And but they have to learn they have to learn it in a way. And this, you know, this goes back to imagination and challenging myself and community. Can we teach them in a way where they learn the lesson, but there's a better way to teach it than just smacking like you, you're going to burn a house down. And I was like, no, that doesn't teach responsibility. That doesn't teach accountability. That just teaches fear. Yeah. Don't you dare burn the house down. That's catastrophic. Yeah. And then how do I, how do I say, well, I learned to cook. I have, you know, those little butane stoves and i barbecue on that i'm not burning stuff down how do, how do i learn to drive responsibility responsibly without just bumper carring everyone on the road right yeah. we're clearly capable of it it will take significantly more effort and work yeah but i think it's still worth it but you can't right. teach a six-year-old to drive responsibility to drive responsibly but you can a six-year-old like, is only going to know bumper cars yeah but a six-year-old can learn like hey you know, you have to respect objects that are 20,000 pounds more than you. And that in the, if it bumps you, the car is going to be defined. And, and, you know, you're not, you know, I feel we, like all the school children I see in the streets these days do not know that they are not afraid of me at all. And I have a large truck. Right. And, you know, I don't know about you guys, but we learned part of my learning respecting cars was we played soccer on the street or basketball, right? And you yeah. know, you know, car and you get out of the way, right? Yeah. And and I think I I will admit that in our modern current you know generation, there's a lot of like hyper protectionism for you know great intentions but really terrible execution. Yeah, we've nerfed it too much. These kids are soft. Right. Yeah. And and do you guys swinging of extreme to extreme instead of looking at balance yeah howie what do you what's your thoughts on cryptocurrency would you want to do a deep dive uh do you have any questions so anyways i was thinking um so at the google analytics uh Mm -hmm. youtube analytics uh i think cryptocurrency was kind of trending on our channel so maybe if we want to do a cryptocurrency dive would do you happen to have a lot of questions of cryptocurrency or do you care about cryptocurrency uh I have I have some personal views. Um, right now, I think NFTs in their current state are completely useless. Ah. I think they have potential to be extremely excellent technology. Right, let me rephrase that question because uh, we'll, I'll cut I'll cut the video into the final yeah. question section. What do you know or think of cryptocurrency? Uh, I think I think it represents a technology that empowers people, but I think people need to get on board with not only just understanding it but how you know again imagination of how we can use it um you know i'll get my one example i have is like um i'm sure you've heard like bitcoin skeptics right it's Mm. a scam it's garbage right oh let me let me add in uh, i think both m and i are pro crypto but i'm also a software engineer so i look at blockchain as Mm -hmm. a as a revolutionary um Mm -hmm. piece of software that i think it will help the world, but just so you know, we're, uh, I know quite a bit about blockchain and cryptocurrency. So, yeah. go ahead, continue your. And, and so, what I said was translating into a layperson, right? Getting mm-hmm. people on board. 
And so the easy example is, hey, I work in America and I have family in Vietnam, Philippines. I want to send them money. Mm-hmm. The old technology is Western Union. Mm-hmm. Literally anything could be better. And Bitcoin was one of the first ones to represent improvement. That's huge deal when you think about how much remittance is going to Asia, South America, whatever, right? Aiding globalization, decoupling from unstable currencies such like Venezuela or Zimbabwe or something, right? Um, how much this is em- empowering an everyday person. Like you can, if you're, you guys are software guys, you could hire someone in random place, Nigeria, who does great work. He just happens to live in Nigeria and you can pay him. And it would be a perfectly valid transaction. No, that's like Scam Central. You can't pick Nigeria. Got to pick Nigeria, man. <laughs> How do you find the one honest guy in Nigeria? <laughs> and, and and that's revolutionary, right? And so, you know, we could do business, you know, software. Now, India, right? A lot of, a lot of software guys there. Philippines, yeah. whatever. Someone, small business as you and I can literally hire a person and have a means to pay them. That's huge. So you're saying in the old days when you wanted to send money overseas across to another country, uh, the typical way to send money to other countries was Western Union, which is, is that like a telegraph? Oh, I don't even know what they... Passenger pigeon, basically. (laughs) So, but you'd pay a company Mm -hmm. uh, and they have some huge fee to Mm -hmm. ship. I don't know what, what the... What the fees were, was it like 30 bucks to send money over there or what? Something like that. And it takes three to four days to clear. Okay. So we're saying now there's a cheaper, faster way. Yeah. But but we're not sending US dollars or a country-backed currency. We're, we're sending over this computer currency that somebody invented mm-hmm. called Bitcoins. Money. money was invented. Bartering was invented. Bartering was, bartering at its, you know, money in itself is just a proxy for bartering. Because not, yeah. you know, if you're an apple farmer, you can't just keep giving away apples. Not everyone cares about apples. Yeah, it's hard to carry around. Yeah. So did, were you going towards a specific point on the remittance thingy? No, just trying to understand the point and 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 dig in a little deeper. Okay. That why it why is it better to send cryptocurrency overseas? Mm. I, I mean, you you want me to use this brand new computer money, right? Yeah. Back in the day, remember we had Jeff on this podcast, Jeff, the, uh, the nurse from the Philippines. And mm-hmm. he was saying back in the day, I forget what, what year, like 2012 mm-hmm. or 2014, where he was trying to send money from his bank account in the U S while he was in the Philippines to, to his Philippines account. Mm-hmm. I, I think if I'm correctly saying the story, but ultimately it was because he went with Bitcoin because it was, it was sub sub penny for the transaction fee whereas mm-hmm. western union whatever the fee was thirty dollars or seventy dollars mm-hmm. whatever it was yeah so i think unfortunately well the fees have gone up sort of but but cryptocurrency in itself still holds that that awesome tech that that ability now i don't know is it two percent of all cryptocurrency uses does uses does that i mean people that own cryptocurrency are they Two percent of their transaction is doing is doing from border to border transactions. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I would imagine the 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 amount is small. Well, mm-hmm. so if I want to send money to my friend in the Philippines, why do I trust your computer money instead of this company, Western Union? Why why is there? I mean, Western Union's been around since the Western days, right? Yeah. And well, it's just fees. I mean, if you look at the thirty dollar fee versus the sub sub penny fee, 
Yeah. For crypto. Yeah. And, and longevity doesn't mean anything really for the longest time people rode horses and then we had a horses were great. And now we have cars. Now we have, yeah. you know, eat, you know, we crapped on Priuses, right. And now Tesla's are the hottest thing ever. Yeah. And launch longevity is, you know, it, it makes you feel good, mm-hmm. but doesn't actually necessarily prove anything. All right, so don't buy Priuses. <laughs> I feel, were you trying to play devil's advocate on, on that question? Yeah, we can't all be sitting here agreeing with each other. Oh, oh. <laughs> Howard, do you happen to have any sp- specific crypto or blockchain questions to a software well, engineer? I, I would... There, so one of the use cases that I would love to see, and I don't know, I don't know what it will take to get there, is... Um, <laughs> Using using blockchain for authentication in places like um, your pink slip for your car, deed for a house, um, citizenship, voting. I, the, I theorize who whoever does a blockchain or or cryptocurrency. Lim loves that shit. You you really held it on the uh, interest meter right here. It'd be the identity, some type of identity blockchain or cryptocurrency. I don't know which would be, who would create it first or how exactly the details. So identity is super important in this case, because if you have a title of the house, you need an identity tied to that title of the house. If you have a title of a car, even if you have ins- car insurance, they want to make sure they're probably paying out the right person. So mm-hmm. whoever creates an identity blockchain, which I think there's going to be complicated, it's going to be a challenging system to to figure out. Mm-hmm. Just like right now in the U.S., you, I don't know how true it is, but you see in the movies where you get the the bank robber who's an international person who has prints out these passports and they have these social security numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how true how easy that is. But I imagine there are ways if you know some people to create a social security number. I don't know how expensive that is, Hmm. but I would think there's ways to fudge the system. You'd have to contact someone in the social security building probably and pay a lot of money to see if they're willing to to risk their job. Like a fake record? Yeah, yeah. Um, Now That's quite an accusation, my friend. No, well, (laughs) I'm just saying it's still possible because... As long as humans are involved, then there's mm-hmm. a possibility. So yeah. I'm not I'm not saying blockchain will change change that. I'm actually I'm on the other side that whatever human problems we have, that will exist with blockchain. Blockchain is just a way to facilitate potential truth by consensus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if we do with blockchain, I've I've been thinking about this for a long while. If with blockchain, you could try to do a multi biological factor uh, mm-hmm. authentication. So mm-hmm. you could create a wallet and then you could create a mining mining servers that have thumbprint readers on it. Yeah. And then I'll automatically assign you a wallet with your thumbprint. And when you create that wallet, then it'll tie, you could put in your other nine, all 10 fingerprints. Mm-hmm. And then, um, because I, because if you screw, if, if, if one of your thumbs get severed or mm-hmm. you have to have ways to, what about a retina scan? Yeah, yeah, I, I, you yeah. could have a retina scanner. I don't, I don't know enough about DNA at all. I guess I know retina scanners exist. For you could buy it on the PC. Oh yeah, you could spit on stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. So bi- other biological uh, DNA and whatnot. I think there's way ways to facilitate that. So anyway, so yeah, you would get a wallet created 
buy your thumbprint and then have all your backups. So that would be super crucial. Once a mm -hmm. government or a cent, a government approves that blockchain or they don't even have to approve it. They just have to accept it enough to say, okay, for these mm -hmm. type of transactions, if you're buying a car, we will accept your, mm -hmm. your car title tied to this identity on the mm -hmm. blockchain. But then all I have to do is uh, figure out how to digitally fake your thumb. Yeah. yeah. So I think some of the, I've been, I've been thinking about this for a while. So I, yeah. I would, I think when you create your 10 thumb parents, mm -hmm. it, it also creates 10 wallets and then it, it links all of them. And as soon as you say one of them's compromised, it, mm -hmm. it copies the information from that one to the other nine. Mm -hmm. And then there's, there's ways later on. If, if you say that another one's compromised, you want to backtrack to another wallet that the, it could get complicated, but you only get nine chances. It could be done with a third party. Uh, when I talk about like the third party adjuster for insurance companies on the blockchain, you could probably do a third party identity manager. Mm -hmm. where they could also prove that they saw your driver's license and they saw you do your thumbprint on the mining machine. Okay, like so that. assuming you could nail true identity on a blockchain tied to a wallet, then yeah. everything else is so possible, everything. So, so now we're getting into weird privacy, ethics, all, all those topics, you know, because I, I would imagine that you guys understand as software guys, the greatest threat to security is the end user, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, you can build as many firewalls and anything you want. And yeah. someone's, someone's going to click this phishing email. Ooh, this looks great. And, you know, yeah. you know that's, and so how, yeah, I, how do we balance that? Right. There would probably someone, there's a, uh, you could do it like a, I don't know what you want to call not filtering. So there'd be different layers. So like say say when I go to a doctor's office versus a a car dealership, mm -hmm. they ask for different uh I proofs of identity and mm -hmm. different proofs of insurance and different proofs of proof of funds and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So with your identity on that blockchain, there should be a way there will be a way if if I were to build it, mm -hmm. uh to authorize Say I go to a car dealership and they're going to say, hey, if you want to buy this Ford Raptor, we want to know that you have $70,000 mm -hmm. available for this Ford Raptor. So then I, they would send, I, there's a private key, public key thing. So they mm -hmm. could send it to my wallet and say, we want to know if you have $70,000. And then on my wallet, I will see a message that comes from Ford dealership here mm -hmm. in Las Vegas and I could approve it and they could see that I have it. But until someone they'd have to send a message to my wallet for me to approve mm -hmm. it. They wouldn't see anything on the wallet. So it would probably have to be a privacy coin like Monero or what's another one. Uh, uh, anyways, Monero is one of it. I think Zcash. Zcash yeah. is another privacy coin. And and let's let's take it even to the next level. Uh, sorry, you know? sorry. To add the privacy coin because the privacy coin, they mm -hmm. they uh, hide everything from your, your block, your, your, your wallet. And I, I was going to, you know, segue into that. What if, you, you may not, you know, you need that privacy, but not at the same time with, let's say your medical records, right? You know, right now it's like, if I have Kaiser or Anthem, whatever, it's, it's a shit show and it may translate or not. And let's just pretend that one day, you know, I got in a car accident and I'm unconscious mm -hmm. and my records are all over the place and doctors might not know I'm allergic to nuts or something. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but 
how else would they get information? What if I don't have family members? I don't have any. Uh, well, I was going to say, yeah, power of attorney, power of attorney or uh, uh, right. as long as your thumb makes it through the accident. Right. Yeah, yeah. Thumbprint or you in. We have a way to validate. Right? Yeah. Um, it's. I think that's a huge deal because, you know, your medical records is something that you need, right? Yeah. And yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there will be challenges, but I think those are those situations. Um, they are important, but then I think figuring out the the first steps for blockchain for mm-hmm. the first, and then take care of the smaller items like that. Mm-hmm. Those are, are are important, but I think it would take a lot of uh, uh, a big ecosystem or people to really think it all out in all those um, possibilities. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think, I mean, I think if the first ones av- available were you got the identity, mm-hmm. there's ways to share specific data with a hospital mm-hmm. and a car dealership, then we take to the next step. Um, we, yeah. we would eventually get there, I hope, with blockchain. Yeah. So it goes back to, you know, way, way, way back is like empowering an individual, right? You know, we, instead of having to trust, you know, will, will my information get hacked by, well, let's see, I had Hantham hacked, PlayStation ha- got hacked once, mm, uh, OPM got, my, got hacked once. North Korea. Right. <laughs> was it Russia or North Korea that hacked you? <laughs> <laughs> Not sure, but don't want to get demonetized, right? <laughs> right. And, and it sucks, right? And let's not even, you know, add in like the the whole, was it Experian? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then Cash App recently. Oh, geez. It's like, it's not surprising for my news feed to have some massive data breach. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just every month, it seems like some big data breach happens. Yeah. So, I, you know, going back to what I said, I don't think we need a whole ecosystem. You know, like, you know, when we first came out with electric cars and we're like, where are we going to charge them? And now it's just, you know, in California, it's like, whatever, you can throw rocks at chargers, you know sort of thing um yeah but there was companies that were hell-bent for making as many chargers available as possible right yeah and we have toyota coming out that they still have the hydrogen car that still worries me sometimes right because it's like a rolling explosive but whatever right and there's still none of them have exploded yet (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i think oh yeah if if they were exploding everywhere it it clearly wouldn't work but yeah I think the fact that we don't hear about exploding hydrogen cars tells us it's probably not a problem. We had EV cars randomly setting on fire. That's yeah. still, we're still chill with that. Right. So I, I don't think it needs to be perfect. I just need to, you know, the proof of concept, at least in, you know, your software engineering guys, we're all just like, you know, get risk mitigation to the point where it's, you know, if the end user screws it up, sorry, we can't, we can't it approve something. There's always better idiots. Right. But we can do larger scale prevention of the next hack. So if we can nail down true identity on a blockchain, you want me to use my cryptocurrency to go buy a new Ford? Yes. You get the Ford Mustang (laughs) Mackie. No, I don't want you to buy. I don't want you to. uh, I would want the world to all the whole world to use cryptocurrency. And therefore, I, I, I don't know if you're alluding to. Why would you sell crypto to buy a car? Nope, and appreciate it. Oh, you weren't going there. Okay, I'll yeah. stop. I was going to jump. <laughs> well, no. So then I go buy this car at the dealership. Mm. You want my my title of the vehicle to be on a blockchain? Yes. Yeah. What problem does that solve? 
because we have the system where the title shows I own the thing. Like, what are you making better for me? It takes the DMV out of out of the uh, free up the tax dollars that go to pay the DMV obscene amount of money mm-hmm. to do this piece of paper that can have other issues with it. If someone supposedly mm-hmm. stole your car plus the title, then they could transfer the title and then you'd be screwed all over a piece of paper. Whereas with the blockchain, as long as you got your thumbprints, your fingerprints and you're, you're fine. You're trying to cut out the DMV. Yeah. So for, well, well, yeah. let's, put, let's put it this way. You show up to one of those DMV kiosks with someone you're trying to sell your car to, right? Yeah. You put in your identity. Um, you say, here's my title to the car. The other person puts in their identity. They put in the money as a third, the kiosk is your third party custodian title, title and money go opposite directions. You walk away with your money. They walk away with their car 10 minutes tops. That sounds great. I don't know of a government organization that has ever gotten simpler or smaller or less expensive. I think that hopefully the future has, hopefully things eventually get uh, easier. Efficient. Hopefully. I feel like uh, I've watched our world progress from like the 1980s to now. And it Mm -hmm. seems like we just add layers and layers and layers of complication and more and more BS and rules and things to navigate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. So how do we ever start clean? How do we ever, how do we ever wipe away the legacy systems? You, you buy your own island, duh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think there's, I, I don't know the answer. I'm just going to, I'm just spitballing ideas out there, brainstorming. So just free balling. Free balling. Um, <laughs> there's like pa- the password manager that I use. I feel like that has been in the last, I started using it five years ago. Mm-hmm. And now I only have one password. That has been an awesome thing because before I was doing complicated passwords per site. Yeah. It was just crazy. Now it's one password manager. So that's one thing. But I mean, yes, I agree. Everything else is complicated. Like, But that's, you, a, that's a solution on top of all the complicated. Yeah, it didn't yeah, remove yeah. any of yeah. the shit that's there. Yeah. And then um, another random idea and all that. Facebook has so much um, personal information in there that people outside that I don't know could get personal information uh, whether it be no, known or not known to me, meaning I might accidentally have my date of birth open to the public. Mm-hmm. There are There's options in Facebook to go in there and block those things from public view. And yeah. they have layers too. You could choose public view or friends views or friends of friends can view it. Yeah. Or someone can view it if they have my email address. So there's like different layers. So I yeah, it's just all complicated. I I don't know. I guess... My train of thought after saying the password manager and then Facebook is complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, we choose where we spend the most time and try to simplify those, the things that mm-hmm. we don't spend a whole lot of time. We just kind of... We do spend a lot of time at the DMV. I just, <laughs> I just spent two and a half hours there. Oh, oh no. Uh, Wait, were you looking at Facebook the whole time? Uh, half the time, yeah, because I'm sitting, <laughs> in the, sitting in the chair trying to run my business and... Uh, which has been enabled since, you know, building a website, you know, back in the, was it GeoCities days, you had to learn yeah. HTML and now it's pretty much just like point and click and template and done. Hmm. Yeah. Right. And Wait, what's your so, website? Is it, is it pretty cool? My personal website? Yeah. 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 It's, it's built off WordPress, right? Yeah. 
And, and I, you know, I kind of sit in this weird, at least my previous career, like I worked in it, but not that kind of it. Yeah. Right. And, and so it was always, it was always a challenge for me to like, Ooh, like conceptualize, what does it take to start a business? Cause that's what, something I wanted to do. And the reality is the barrier of entry is actually quite low. Mm-hmm. Just throw up a website, fill in some forms and I send it to my, you know, County. They're like, okay. Tus- you know, my local city, they're like, um, fill out a form. Like, okay, cool. That's it. Yeah. Started. You know, I was like, this is all on the internet. This is great. Yeah. So would you classify your business as consulting? Uh, consulting. I, it was the one that fit most into yeah. you know, like sort of education, but I don't, I don't know. I, I deal with a lot of imposter syndrome, a lot of days. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like I, I work in a mental health space but I'm not a therapist. Yeah. Right? Um, it's freaking weird. Just being yeah. in space. So uh, you said you've helped people in Australia before, right? Yeah. But you said that the, the struggle that you're dealing with is generally the, the Asian cultural pressures. Is it, mm-hmm. what's different in Australia? Cause at, for an American, we don't really think about this, but Australia is actually a lot closer to Asia than we are. So they got a lot of Asians on the Australian continent, right? Yeah, they do. Um, but Australia, much like many Western um, countries, is you know you have the individual identity, right, and not the collectivistic of you representing your family or something like that. And and you know going back to what we we're talking about, you know one of one of the thoughts that I had was like when I was growing up is like I always had to go to like school after school programs, Saturday school, Sunday Chinese school, all those things, right? And then I see my neighbor friends, they're like, we're going on a family vacation. Mm-hmm. That was weird to me, right? And they had fun, they had, you know, all that. And I was like, well, why can't I have that? Because they were busy investing in every possible drop of making Howie the super student. I, and and you know what that actually made me is I resent work now. Yeah. I, I for a lar- large period I resented work because I couldn't see how it served me. Mm-hmm. I was only doing all this work because I was told I needed to do it. And so I've been spending, you know, upwards of you know a couple of years now, you know, re rebuilding my relationship with work. Mm-hmm. Of like, oh, you know, like I look forward to serving my clients. I look forward to you know, working with them on this tough, you know, tough issues that don't necessarily have an end in sight. But I, I'm like, yeah, I'd do it for free if I didn't have bills to pay. What, what is this idea of a Chinese school on Sundays? Because we, um, we don't have Vietnamese school on Sundays. Is it to just learn the Chinese language? Pretty, pretty much, right? Um, and some, you know, some of it's like you have like little cultural performances or you learn how to do a dragon dance or whatnot. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe it's unique to Chinese, but I've actually, I only say that because I literally don't know of any other cultures. Yeah. Um, but I think it's more, a little more universal in that. Like, Hey, let's, you know, go, go to a Kumon or something like that. Okay. Yeah. But you don't, uh, you're not, you know, your parents are here in the U S right. Yeah. They don't have any plans to go back to China. Nope. And they're not, you're not going back to China. 
Nope. So why is it so important to spend a Sunday? Like, and what's what's the point of this Sunday sacrifice to to maintain and preserve this Chinese culture that's been left behind? So at the time, I don't think I conceptualized it, but I think nah, you're a kid. Yeah, I'm some kid. But what, what's your I, parents' motivation, though? What, why why do they say my kid has to go to Chinese school? I really think if and it's only my opinion. I can't. I haven't validated with them, which yeah. is um, it's not only connecting with my heritage culture, but it's really connecting with their story, mm-hmm. the story that they don't know how to vocabularize or don't know how to tell. Um, don't know how to share or maybe and or in actually incapable of sharing mm. right um and i don't think they want wanted me to just look through it through the lens of like tv or history books or whatever like it's a real living and breathing thing and had you know through them had very strong influence on how they shaped me mm. so do you think that's what the school effectively did was give an appreciation for old Chinese culture? Oh, hell no. (laughs) Like I learned, you know, learning Chinese, like write the same word 30 times in a row until, you know, Hmm. it's it's beaten into you. Um, And I really didn't appreciate that. It was really boring. (laughs) Okay. Right. Um, I, and, and, you know, something I struggled even now is like, you know, you learn historical culture, um, and whatever, right? But I'm quite disconnected with modern culture, you know, slang, trends, uh-huh. uh, music, movies, whatever, what be it, right? Um, you know, with the rise of what, like TikTok? Like, I, you know, if I just subscribe oh, that's Chinese, with, also, yeah. Right. If I subscribe to, you know, 50 people in mainland China, I could get a conceptually get, you know, what's trending, what's not sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, 20 years ago, that didn't exist. Right? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I, I always struggle with um, when you move countries, mm-hmm. I understand appreciating and uh, loving a heritage. Mm-hmm. But I think the moment that somebody fails to integrate or assimilate to their new country, mm-hmm. it's baffling to me. Like, why wouldn't you? Like, if I find myself in another, if I'm, if I'm in Ethiopia, mm-hmm. I better learn to figure it out and live like an Ethiopian. I got to figure out what's going on and see what everybody's doing. I'm not going to try to keep being the same American idiot, you know, in a different place. I'm going to figure out how they do it there. If I'm planning to stay there and have my children there and go to school there and build my business mm-hmm. there. And, you know, I'm not going to be the only one speaking American for the next five generations. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that idea of preservation. And, and, and so, you know, I think America really isn't unique in that, like, you can move to like San Gabriel Valley, you know, from China and never learn anything English. And you could actually have a lifestyle there, right? Um, like you could stay insulated and you could stay insulated. It would completely miss the point. I'm with you in some ways with that. Um, but, you know, it goes to why can't I have the best of both worlds, mm-hmm. right? You know, are there crappy things in Asia? Yeah. Are there amazing things that we could bring to America and integrate that into a, into America and not yeah. just, you know, assimilate, integrate? Yeah. Why can't I have fusion both? Right. Yeah. And 
Um, you know, low hanging fruit example is like a Roy Choi and a Kogi taco. It's a Mexican Korean taco that kind of in, feels like in some ways had to have been born here, right? Yeah. There, I'm, I know there are Koreans in Mexico mm. and I know there's Mexicans in Korea, right? But why did, was it born here? I think it's just that. Wait a minute. There's Mexican people in South Korea? Yeah, absolutely. I, will, I watch your YouTube videos. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and uh, I, I, I think that's the uniqueness of America. Like you can have this space where like people are like, yeah, you know what? Just go for it. Who the hell yeah. knows? I think in other places, they're just like, oh, it'll never work. Or the local palate or local culture won't accept it. And America is just like, whatever. Freaking, we have goths, nerds, um, D&D, Pokemon, you know. So, so is this all really then just the painful clashing of cultures in, in a time in history where we are truly globalizing, where we're truly able to travel around en masse? Mm -hmm where we're mm -hmm. able to communicate and see on the internet and experience and be exposed to everything in the world. Cause if you go back, you know, a couple generations, you go back a hundred years, you really were just in your town. Mm -hmm. You had no idea besides maybe a newspaper, what was going on mm -hmm. in the world. Right. So is there bound to be all of these little intersections for me, <clears throat> for me, oddly, I think of the word globalize as once everybody has, I don't, it probably will never exist, but if racism is completely gone and we look at each other and we don't see the color of our skin where we treat each other completely equally, there's no, uh, there's no, like a manager gives a, a higher pay to, to a white person over an Asian or a black or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think, up until that point, I would call call it the growing pains of globalization. Globalization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think what I, I, me personally, I would define what you're saying as the growing growing pains of global, globalization, or just the human condition. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's not just race though. It's uh, what passport you have, right, or how much money you step off the boat with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Some some of it's just sheer luck, uniqueness of like you didn't get the genetic markers for certain cancers, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, you talked about assimilating and I feel like we can celebrate our uniqueness and mm -hmm. because there will always be uniqueness, you know, even in a globalization, right? Like, um, yeah. let's, let's just say I'm building my crypto farm rigs, right? Where am I going to put it? I'm going to put it where I can get cheap energy, renewable energy, right? So I'm not building it in Antarctica. Yeah. I'm not building it in Northern Canada. I'm not building it, you know, in the middle of New York city. Um, and so, you know, with every topic, there's always a little bit of uniqueness. And so we just lean into it instead yeah. of saying we must all be the same because we were never the same to begin with. I, I guess where I can't relate is that I've fully assimilated. I guess I grew up here, right? But like I have Irish heritage and I have Vietnamese heritage I don't feel like it's critical. Like if I had kids, I'm not going to be sending my kids to learn Gaelic Irish. Mm -hmm. Right. I have no need to preserve that culture that deeply. I'm not going to have them playing bagpipes and walking around in a kilt and doing these things that an ancient culture did in a different country in a different generation. Mm -hmm. I don't understand carrying that forward in such a literal way. 
So, so what if I just called it a luxury? It's a luxury to maintain Chinese-ness in other countries? I, it's a luxuryness that, you know, nobody speaks Gaelic Irish, but we can, and we can build a community that celebrates, you know, what it, what it did historically and how it connected people and how it got, you know, brought you all the way down to your existence, right? Yeah. Do we need it? No, we could all just learn English or Chinese or whatever, right? And so you said you Rage Rover, and I say, you know, why not Gaelic Irish? Well, but what I'm saying is there, we have a difference in behavior. Do, do we not see in the Chinese culture this formalized schooling that there's some large amount of effort to maintaining Chinese-ness that we don't see from other cultures? Yeah. And, okay. and, <laughs> and, and you know, that's, that's very, you know, very determinant on you look at cultures and like, has anyone been trying to invade them and wipe them out lately? Right. And yeah. so I think, I think a lot of, you know, that generational trauma of like, well, China kind of got invaded a lot. If it wasn't by Westerners, if it wasn't by Koreans or Japanese or Genghis Khan. Right. Yeah. I think, I think, Wait, is it Genghis very not Chinese? Ended? Yes. Wait, was Genghis not Chinese? Mongolian. Mongolian. Oh. They built a great wall to keep them out. Doesn't China say that Mongolia is China now? <laughs> can't, can't explain that one. Okay. Right. Because if Mongolia is China now, then Genghis, by translational math, was Chinese. <laughs> no? Okay. But, I'll, but I'll, I'll, I'll try I'll, to play that. Oh, go ahead. I want to bring up, you know, um, you know, we're talking about globalization. And I... Yeah. I think one one key point was for me is like if you're a individual in the middle of China who literally is like whatever my local culture and my beliefs and I don't just subscribe to it, mm-hmm. globalization to me is like that person still has an outlet to discover different ways of life, different people, different access information, um, and it's not just like I must conform or my life will be terrible, right? I think I think having that accessibility is is going to be the kind of delineation for me between like a globalization and just kind of pre-globalization. Oh, so you're saying like a Mexican dude couldn't be just a regular dude in the middle of China. He couldn't be a regular Mexican dude. Yeah. He's he's going to struggle. Mhm. Okay. I, so. If 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 I wanted if I wanted to up and move to Singapore because I feel like my values align better there. Can I do that? Right. And right now there's barriers to that immigration. How do I get my money over there through possibly crypto or whatever? Right. Mm. Um, but having, having that freedom. Are you even think about this? Uh, man, when COVID was hitting hard <laughs> and I was like, who, who, which places are doing great and not doing great. And then. Uh, Crazy rich Asians. Kind of. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching all these YouTubes about like hawker stalls. And I'm like, I could, I can do this. There's a blending of cultures, yeah. right? I, I, it's, it's so, it's so core to me now, actually that blending and being in places where that blending exists Yeah, that I actually don't think I could function in a monoculture. Hmm. I heard there's a place called Hong Kong in Tijuana. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fantastic place. So like, yeah, coffee, like, coffee or coffee like items, right? <laughs> coffee like items, yes. <laughs> I'm 
I'm <laughs> to me, that's just we've reached globalization. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. so so then do we want to talk about cryptocurrency in terms of globalization? Is that the key to a, a worldwide currency? I, I think I, I'll throw in. Well, I'm jumping on tangent from that. So there's some. I think it was on the Joe Rogan podcast or was it Lex Friedman podcast recently? There's fears of a one one world government that cryptocurrency is the start of that. And I don't see the connection. Oh, um, maybe it's either. okay. Maybe it's not even worth bringing it up. I'll, okay. Let's let's okay. Go globalization, cryptocurrency, screw that uh, one government <laughs> thing. Um, yeah. I think cryptocurrency is a possibility of getting away from moving beyond the growing pains of globalization and cryptocurrency will be near the end, the end goal it could help get towards the end goal of true globalization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As in, if we throw in, I mean, I know I'm just throwing in the racism thing in mm-hmm. there too, but as a globe, as a human, as humankind, we have growing pains of globalization, global, globalizing. Uh-huh. And I already, I, I could see cryptocurrency going all the way, but it's mm-hmm. up to humans to take it. What would be the, what would be the thing? What would be the steps? It seems like governments would need to accept it of some sorts or allow it to exist. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to take over. I think that's. I think a lot of people think of cryptocurrency as as a left or right or a, a black or white. Black or white. It has to take over, and mm-hmm. then fiat has to go away. I don't think fiat has to go away. Fiat, as in the U.S. dollar or the euro, or whatever. I think both can coexist. Mm-hmm. We should have more complication and more systems. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Huh. I would, you know, I would take it back to, you know, a, a very, a story that I heard from many Vietnamese mm-hmm. um, about how their families fled Vietnam during the war. Yeah. And they would say like, you know, they had jewels sewn into their clothing so that they could bribe and pay for escape. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they had to, you know, literally move and uh, lose everything pretty much just try to start a new life. Mm-hmm. At that extreme end, crypto would solve that because you don't have to worry about grabbing your stuff. It's prioritize your existence first. You know, your finances are yours and the system will remember it. And so you can start your new life in California, Minnesota or whatever. And it's like, well, these are the, you know, there's your financial resources you brought with you. A digital asset. Yeah. Most, most um most currencies digital as is your bank account uh, stocks and all that it's already yeah, digital i think 97 percent of all u.s mm-hmm. cash is as uh, digital yeah only three percent is printed so so why are we fretting over a three percent physical item oh what what's our fret uh oh well, the government the banks oh, i mean i want more cash give me give me the cash do you want there was a video of someone, uh, it was a, uh, some, it was just a, like, um, a joke video, I guess. I don't know. A TikTok video where a guy went, I think it was Miami. He would go up to drunk people and mm-hmm. it was at night recording. And he would say, do you, would you want $100 or one Bitcoin? Yeah. And there's a lot of people that didn't understand. They said, Oh, a hundred dollars. And then there are some people that said, yeah, I don't want that fake money. So they, they knew it was $40,000 for one Bitcoin. Huh. It was weird. Yeah. That's odd. 40,000 today, 30,000 tomorrow, 60,000. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
That's a, but that's a stabilization problem. That's not a functionality problem. Mm-hmm. I, I theorize there'll be a plateau sometime, but that's just my theory. If and then it can't keep growing in value infinitely. You get enough enough global cash and whether it be US dollars, but it hopefully be globally enough US dollars in, enough euros in, enough Venezuelan petrodollar, whatever it is. <laughs> uh get enough global <laughs> currency in there where it it will eventually plateau, I think, and it'll even mm-hmm. it'll start to stabilize. What about Microsoft stock keeps growing? Since since the eighties, because the the economy of America keeps on growing, yeah. the okay. dollar. So if the U.S. if the S and P five hundred can keep growing infinitely, correct. Mm-hmm. Why can't cryptocurrency keep growing infinitely? It is built to have a finite amount. Yeah. Finite it's, amount, not finite value. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so shouldn't the value keep going up? Theoretically, no, um, I I think you. Uh, Okay, I could see that. So in a future where the US dollar keeps on getting inflated, mm-hmm. say a RB sandwich goes from seven dollars to ten breaking my heart right now. <laughs> <laughs> to say twenty dollars for that RB sandwich, but yet oddly let's uh Ethereum, that RB mm-hmm. sandwich is point zero five. Let's say one. <laughs> so in the future, it'll be 0.01 instead. So it's it's actually gone less Ethereum to get that same Arby's, but yet the reverse is different for the US dollars that cost more later. I want the growth in my Ethereum value to go up faster than the cost of my Arby's. <laughs> what if we just viewed it, viewed it from the, pers- take a step back and view it from a perspective, um, yeah. you know, break away from thinking a function of dollars and petrodollars, whatever, just, what is the fundamental price you're willing to pay for the Arby's, right? Yeah. So long as the as the value demand goes up, value cryptocurrency can go up. There's no ceiling. You know, the where where the price settles and plateaus is based on the economics of the production of all the individual pieces getting it to your front of you. But that's a function of everything else, which is not a function of dollars. So you're saying my Ethereum can keep growing in value at least yes. until I die. Yeah, I wonder. I guess, I guess try not dying. Have you tried that? <laughs> I wonder Every day. <laughs> a factor in that whole, is that macro global? Globally mm-hmm. is because humans keep on being born unless mm-hmm. humans hit. Actually, we, we I think humans, we have, re, when you talk to uh, researchers, we have reached peak child, meaning we there was a point either one or two years ago. I might be wrong on this, where they per, they already see the numbers coming down. World yeah. population is not expanding anymore. It, correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh no no no! Uh, the the amount of children being born that we might still be we we might still be having enough children where we're not dying out through yeah. as fast. The, if that makes sense. The, so then the that. Replacement. The wording of your sentence may still be... Oh, our population is still growing, but only because people are living longer, not because they're having more than two til- two children per couple. 2.1, yeah. 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 Okay. And and so I, I think the next part would be when uh, we get matrixed digital minds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or live just solidly in a digital space if that mm. technology happens. And then you can have more people, right? As long as you have... 
sir, was it server space? So how do I make more server space, get more resources? How do I get more resources? Well, let's start finding asteroids to mine, right? Or different planets. Um, I've seen a couple of, uh, like there, I guess there are news articles about research papers. So fairly scientific, um, that they're starting to figure out some stuff with stem cells. Mm -hmm. It was something like, uh, you know how you lose your hearing as you get older? Mm -hmm. It's it's these little hairs inside your ear dying off. And then when you hear the ringing noise, that's, that's one of the hairs dying. It's so... As you lose more and more of these hairs, you, you lose your hearing overall because that's the part that's sending the signal to your brain of what mm-hmm. you're hearing. Uh, researchers were able to trick those cells in your ears to kind of revert back towards a stem cell mm-hmm. and then stop before it turned into a stem cell, thus effectively kind of regrowing a new mm-hmm. young. And so they're able to restore hearing. Yeah. So to me, that's seems like a very first baby step towards a kind of anti-aging, right? If we can yeah. figure out anti-aging and, and not cancer and a couple mm-hmm. of other issues, we're not too far from endless life, yeah. endless humans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, I think there's a parallel path between the organic and cybernetic enhancements that you could mm-hmm. replace. We're ready. I'm cybernetically enhanced with glasses, right? I'd be blind as shit without them. Oh, those aren't cyber. <laughs> those are optical. And well, um, definitely in the field of like um, when you lose a limb and you get a robot one. Yeah. What's prosthetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And just going like ghost in the shell on that. Yeah. Well, I would like that more. If you could choose to be digitally uploaded as a brain into a digital world. Mm-hmm. Or have your physical brain transplanted into a Android superbody? Mm-hmm. I would go the Android superbody because I'm not confident that the consciousness in the digital world is not just a copy of me, but not the actual me. Upon the <laughs> options of that, then I'll prestige. <laughs> when that option comes available, then I'll think about it. For now, worry I worry about I that choice. Yeah, I, I don't know what I would choose right now for that. <laughs> the uh, the globalization or the globalization of or if crypto will always go up. That was an interest. I never thought about. Uh, are we? Will we get to a point where we uh, hit peak human? Peak human. Peak human population. Uh, one scientist or. Uh, analyst thinks it'd be 12 billion people. He thinks we could potentially even out at 12 billion and the yeah. world will stay level at 12 billion. So then maybe crypto can at that point could plateau of its mass adopted by 12 billion people. Oh, if everybody has all the crypto they can have and there's not more people coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. The only funky thing though on that though is the creation of new objects. Uh, so, so when you create a house or someone's taking wood from the forest building a house you're creating a new asset yeah or even yeah. even a car or a computer you're creating something mm-hmm. from a, a raw materials raw materials that potentially didn't have as much value in there even before they were yeah. more raw yeah mm-hmm. they had virtually no not much value to most people but anyway so as we keep on creating products and assets i think that's a interesting one i don't know how to quantify that with cryptocurrency because we got twelve, if we got twelve billion people and it stays stable, we're going to keep on creating stuff. 
Yeah, I think it's going to devolve into a function of the raw materials, energy, you know, those base base materials. Because I, because you think about existing, right? Like, if you if you went in a river and just picked up a salmon, right? Like, mm-hmm. I found the salmon. It's great. Um, what's <laughs> I like the story already? <laughs> yeah, it's delicious. Right? <laughs> right? What's its value? Uh, until it changes hands, nothing. If you if you even decide to eat it or use it, you could literally just like chuck it and you're like whatever, right? Mm. And so it's only its value is only derived as a, as a function of commodity. Mm. And so the Wait, only an, real, an object only has value once you can trade it. Only has a community value yeah. when you when you because either you're deciding it has value and you eat it, or you're yeah. deciding someone else you figure it out that someone else has assigned it value and you trade it for them if you yeah. just pick it up and chuck it there was no value oh yeah yeah i like it but it's i don't know the answer with all that because mm-hmm. 12 billion people uh salmon will keep on multiplying hopefully or we eat all the salmon so then that you know, the sense. answer is to buy real estate because they ain't making no more new land bro yes well we, except in dubai yeah Hawaii, <laughs> there's a volcano working very hard to make new land. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the big island, the big island is growing. Right. Yeah, but that'll be millions and millions of years. <laughs> That's just a scope problem. That's functionally yeah, yeah. true. Yeah, which is why I need the stem cells so I can hang around longer. Mm. Get that fresh Hawaii land. <laughs> fresh first owner. Have we veered way too far off the track? Are we? No, I'm going to keep the, well, the current cryptocurrency stuff. I'm going to try to slam together into one video by itself. Okay. So we could keep on talking crypto or if you want to jump back to the thriving turtle stuff. I like, I like crypto, but you guys. I'm, I'm down for it. crypto and salmon, right? Like it's, yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it's very important to talk about it in a language that people get. Cause I think about um, how many people just suck at like their financial education Mm. like investing saving inflation um you know the very traditional mindset is just save 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 and your savings are losing value every single year so then we should buy nfts uh we should not buy (laughs) NFTs. oh no they have a value because somebody will pay you for an nft they may They, they have a perceived value but doesn't have a produced value right because they might well, well, like I was, well, there was this article, like someone bought a Dune NFT thinking they owned a copyright to Dune. Oh, I want to buy all of Dune. Yeah. Right. And it's like, no, you didn't buy anything. Right. And so the value wasn't produced. It was just like, hey, we're selling you a thing and we think it's this much. You know. Okay. So an NFT has to have a legitimate artistic or copyright value attached to it. It has to have a value. I, I'm not smart enough to figure out what it is. But I think it needs to derive be derived from something that serves somebody. Otherwise, I think, I think we're, you can just buy an, world, we're just art world trading. I think that you can buy an NFT of LeBron James dunking on somebody, right? Like mm-hmm. you own the video, then mm, you you are just the owner of the digital copy of that, but of that dunk, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, how's that any different than not owning Dune? No, I think, yeah, I, I agree with, <laughs> with Howie. I think NFTs in its current state is kind of a weird, mm-hmm. it's in a weird state. But I yeah. think the future of NFTs actually is very br- bright. Uh, mm-hmm. Or or if you, I mean, you could do, 
once you get all the hokey shit out. Yeah, yeah. The, the you, technology is very valuable. The mm-hmm. implication is the how it's executed, not so much right now. Yeah, the hype behind it right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a weird thing where um, I used to think if something was all hype, there's no value, right? Mm-hmm. But in a way, if you have enough hype, there is a value. Just like that salmon that you just caught with and your then I, And then I remind you, remember Beanie Babies? That was, those are great times. They're all hype, yeah. Well, to me, the current one is uh, Dogecoin. Like, it was literally created as a joke. Mm-hmm. And, and then, it, then Shiba Inu coin, which was a tree created as a, a joke. copy of a joke. Yeah, but, that, but we're in a world now where the hype, the meme ability, the popularity of it, mm-hmm. then, in fact, actually imparts some value. How, how much value is it to be a part of an experience? I, I paid yeah. a couple hundred bucks to listen to a concert, right? Yeah. What is, is this the next level of that? I, yeah. to, I mean, to your, to your point, I mean, the value is only there if someone's willing to buy it. So yeah, sure. Doge, if you, if you had, say you bought it for a dollar and it went up your, that total amount that you have went up to 500. Mm-hmm. If you were able to sell that 500, then yeah. To you, you got five hundred, but it could drop back down to one dollar and or less, and you mm-hmm. could lose it all. Yeah, it's not stable. Yeah, so the hype is, I guess, when you, I don't know if I'm, when you say the word hype, that it has, when you say that statement, it, that hype has value. Yeah, I imagine you thinking, or those words, that hype itself has value. I think it's mm-hmm. if the hype you, is given value to the thing, and if you're able to sell, yeah, at mm-hmm. the right time. Well, I mean, that's the difference of going to a very popular concert versus a concert nobody wants to see. The ticket costs more for that experience than the experience nobody wants. There's, you know, if there's a hyped artist, right, a, a very popular artist, mm-hmm. then there's there's more value to that experience. The weird thing with the experience, though, is that you once you have the experience, you've consumed it. You can't yeah. now trade that experience again. Certainly. Where, whereas the Dogecoin, you can trade on and buy something else. And, and one one could argue one could argue like if I go to my local you know music venue pay thirty bucks to see a concert and I go to I head up to Vegas and see EDC right yeah um, is it a better experience maybe that's a very subjective human decision is yeah. it six hundred times you know whatever the multiplier is better experience yeah it's still subjective and so you know I don't think you can remove that human component and i think yeah. that human component not only to the experience but to the other people who provide or share and consume that experience yeah i would rather have a gigantic rb sandwich than a raw <laughs> salmon i i would struggle with the raw salmon it'd be a lot of work to turn that into food i'd rather have the raw salmon <laughs> I'd have the raw salmon. no we're not talking about fillets we're talking like Straight grabbed it out of the stream. Yeah. No, you can still eat it. Yeah. Bears bears do just fine. (laughs) (laughs) Just gotta prep it the right way, gut it and then and then cleanly get the meat out. Dude, RB sandwich ready to go. (laughs) And you're paying for the value of all those things coming together prepared for you. Yeah, this corporation baked the uh delicious soft bun and they sliced up the beef and roasted it. To a juicy perfection mm-hmm. to have it ready at a moment's notice. Mm-hmm. Just, just you wait till uh, you get your 3D printed meat RB sandwich. I'm okay with that if it tastes good. Yeah. There, there's, and it goes back to ethics, right? Can yeah. I get a, 
could I get a vegetarian to eat stem cell 3D printed meat? All right, we're going to go into the final question section. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> First question, what great daily habit or habits do you have? A great habit is um, surprisingly just taking breaks to be mindless. Mm. Um, that's the space where I get to think of all my weird shower sh thoughts and crypto and salmon, right? Most just catching dark. fish out of the river. <laughs> most, most of it's dumb. I even think so, but some of it's like, good shit <laughs> genius <laughs> I, I i think of the reverse uh sentence of that just for the heck of it when you said uh to give yourself a break give your mind a break i sometimes have some acquaintances or friends where i feel that they spend too much of their time watching netflix or mm -hmm. they're just vegging out on youtube the entire day or mm -hmm. their whole life seem or to me my personal opinion of their life it seems like that so I wish that they would be more active with their brain because I think the more you sit around and ve mm -hmm. be, be a vegetable, I think uh, so, uh, some research has shown that by not keeping your brain active, you actually start making less and less. Um, mm -hmm. You're offending a lot of vegetarians right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, there's <laughs> less and less. I forget what it's called. Electrical connection. Uh, pathways. The pathways. Mm -hmm. Less of them are connected. Dendrites. No. Uh, I forget. I would agree with you. When I, when I say rest, I don't mean veg out. You know, that's no, no, still no. low power. Oh, when I said the op, the reverse of yours is because it sounds like you're, you're having enough uh, mental stimulation, stim, mm -hmm. stim, stimulation, whereas mm -hmm. I think some people don't have enough where they need mm -hmm. okay, to gotcha. get off of YouTube and go do stuff that Howie's doing. I like stimulization better. <laughs> I think we should patent that. <laughs> yes. Can we claim a word? Uh, stimulize. You have to get NFT behind it. Make an NFT. <laughs> <laughs> the MF NFT of stimulize. <laughs> All right. Next question. Oh, actually, we already did that one. Next question. What's the biggest problem for humans, and what should we do to fix it? Um, I think the biggest problems right now is um, very biased with this emotional regulation. Um, because I think it derived, I think it just, at, it's something controllable at the individual level and affects everything in your life, how you view your life, how you connect with people, um, your vulnerability or guarding, um, your ability to chase your goals and dreams with support or not. Right. Um, and I think it, I want to make it very human centered. And so that's where I started from. What's your suggestions on making a big systematic change to fix that? How do we get uh, more emotionally intelligent? Um, mine is mine is really simple. And um, I just start at my local community level. Um, I'm very open about the need of emotional intelligence, um, bouncing ideas um, as men being vulnerable, um, show up at therapy. Therapy is great if you... Um, if you're in bad place, you need it and you're good place and you want to grow, right? Um, I, I want to remove the stigma of thinking like, oh, you must be crazy. You're, no, it's you want to be a better version of yourself wherever you're at. Mm, I like it. Awesome. What is your favorite food or dish? <laughs> Raw salmon. <laughs> <laughs> that I caught with my hands. <laughs> um, I've, I really do enjoy hand-pulled noodles. Uh, oh, I hate making them. It's most a laborious, like, mm. holy crap. I can make the, you know, I can buy this for like five, $10 sort of thing. 
Hmm. Um, but man, there's just a lot of nostalgia. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, history. Um, my, my family's lineage from uh, Xi'an in China, mm-hmm. uh, which is known for hand-pulled noodles. Um, it's also known for like a lot of Muslim influence. Oh. And so a lot of like, uh, uh, like cumin lamb and all that's all good stuff from there. And it's like, that brings me just such a journey. And so it's, so it's just like a comfort food for me. Would you, when you say the nostalgia, is it the process or the actual flavor? So is it, is it possible that? Oh, he hates doing it. <laughs> I, hate, I hate making it. <laughs> so like if, if, if you did a blind taste test, you could absolutely pick out the hand pulled yeah, uh, every time. Every time. I could, I could tell you which one was made by Muslims. <laughs> what, what is that? I'm just being silly. Oh, <laughs> I was like trying to think of the punchline. <laughs> Does it wear a towel on the head or? No, what? it was not actually a racist <laughs> statement. <laughs> Um, if, uh, so if in a perfect world, if there was hand pulled noodles that you could buy for like $2, like ramen package, you mm-hmm. would hands down, if it tasted that good, you would just go buy it. Hell yeah. Okay. I no, thought, you have to be a place where you could see somebody making it. Does that, ha, ha, does that influence you? Have you been to a restaurant where you've seen that and then you're more inclined to go to um, that restaurant because of that? Um, in some way i don't necessarily have to see it but i do love i do just love to talk to people and just like hear their story right mm-hmm. um and you you know when you when you really eat food that people put their heart into um and that is made with love and others you know stereotypical stuff like that it's like no i can tell that it was made because it's just it's an experience it's not just i'm eating stuff for nourishment Mm. So remember that this is a random tangent on someone creating. You leave food. Arby's alone. <laughs> <laughs> Arby's could could uh, if they just spelt their name with two letters, they would get it save three letters. But um, or two. Um, uh, remember Three Villages, that restaurant that made the Shaolong Bao's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So supposedly uh, it was my I think it was my ex girlfriend's mom was talking to the owner of that restaurant. Yeah. And there, the owner was telling the story of a customer. A customer came in, ate the shallow bao, and said, "Holy crap, this is really good." Yeah, this tastes like my original recipe when I made it up in 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 uh, in China. I forget what city in China. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the lady came back three times. She's like, "This tastes like my recipe." Mm-hmm. She's like, "Can I talk to the? Can I go talk to the cook? I really want to say this is amazing." Yeah. She meets the cook is a guy that she knew back in China. He made his way to America. She made his, her way to America. Mm. And it's the same guy that they used to work together and make the shallow. He bows. stole her recipe. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it's an amazing story of just making food and tasting something that you love and noticing mm. that same exact flavor. I, I, that story felt that's what I heard from. Uh, my ex-girlfriend's mom was like, no, that can't be a true story. That seems too, what's the chances of... Xiaolong Bao is this amazingly delicious uh, yeah. soup dumpling. So it's a dumpling where you have meat or something in the in the center with the mm-hmm. dough wrapped around. And mm-hmm. somehow they're able to put soup inside. So you have this little pocket of delicious, hot, soupy. Yeah, and you got to be careful because if you don't know, or if you if you bite into it while it's hot... That soup, that it's a it's a liquid soup. It's not very thick. It's very liquidy, or at mm-hmm. least the places I've gone. I don't know if it's different in other places, but yeah, it'll shoot in your mouth and it'll burn your tongue easily. So you've got to be careful with it. But it is absolutely delicious. 
Yeah. Dude, I, can't, I'm, a, can't be. I'm a huge believer in like the small world stories and that human connection. Cause I think, uh, you know, very tangentially, um, I was staying in a hostel in England and the okay. guy who was in a bunk above me, uh, we were just chatting. I was telling about where I was going to school or whatever. And I found out that he was best friends with the girl who lived above me in a dorm. Oh. Um, and so this is, so I'm from New Jersey. They were from like Tennessee. We, um, I went to school in Georgia. And wow. so all this connections to just like, yeah, I know her. She, I know we're on a first name basis and we hang out like every other week or something. Yeah. Damn. Did you ever verify the story? Yeah. I, I was <laughs> okay. like, hey, I'm I was like, like hey, I took a picture with this guy. Like, do you know him? And she's like, what the shit was, how did you meet him? I'm like, yeah, we're just hanging out in England. You can't just be <laughs> believing stories from dudes you meet in England bunks. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Final question. Shout out to your friends that you think should do this podcast. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to shout, shout out my friend, Danny, um, because going all the way back to the James um, Webb takes space, space uh, awesome. telescope. Um, uh-huh. he's a, he's a interesting guy. Um, and I actually recently reconnected with him in Hawaii because I found out on my Hawaii trip, I'm like, Hey, Facebook, here I am. He's like, Oh shit. I live here now. What's and up, bro. What's up. And it just, it was a great experience. Um, so shout out to him. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to shout out, shout out my partner, Jackie. Um, she's amazing. And she's the exact opposite of me. Uh, nearly every single way. So I think it's, I think it'd be fun to see our dynamic. She doesn't um, own any Hawaiian shirts. Uh, she owns one. <laughs> awesome. Um, and la- and last one is um I want to you know supporting you guys like anyone who's listening here right like uh emphasize your story is worth telling um, it's interesting um, even if you don't think it is it's a very human story I invite you to share it it's it's a lot of fun connecting with people is fun you guys are fun right I've never I've never really met you guys and you guys are tons of fun. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. I was a good dude. Yeah. Anybody who compliments me deserves compliments. <laughs> <laughs> Do you happen to have a drink or something to cheers for the end? Oh, uh, uh, there you go. Yeah. Howie, thank you so much for spending this time with us. It was a pleasure. I look forward to running into you in Hawaii. Sure. I'll run, I'll run into it wherever. Small world, right? There's only yes. so much space that we're buying. <laughs> yeah. I got, I got to sort through the other 12 billion people. <laughs> Cheers, Howie. We'll see you, brother.